0: Hello again, everybody, and welcome in to another edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. You may subscribe to our feed for new episodes through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn. They're new on Mondays, plus over at nationalreview.com. The ever-expanding podcast library is there in the upper left-hand corner. Click on Podcast, you'll see us, and a whole lot of other podcasts as well. All of our old episodes and new episodes on Mondays, also at nationalreview.com. Dot com here on political beats we bring in people who are working in uh discussing analyzing uh, the world of politics and we don't talk any politics whatsoever we only talk about music in our, our guest's favorite band or artist my name is scott bertram you can find me on twitter at scott bertram my co-host as always standing by or sitting i don't know for sure jeff blair jeff how are you
1: oh i'm bloody f- miserable mate it's just another one of these days. I have to make my own tea, you know. Back in the days, back in the days when we were real rock stars, I'd have four geezers out here making tea for me. I'd have one guy to heat the water, one guy to to, to steep the tea bag, another guy to put it into the cup for me, and then one other guy who would hand it over to me. Now I got to do
0: it all on my own. <laughs> and you can't even afford to hire someone to do it anymore, can you? It's just miserable. <laughs> uh, you can find Jeff at Esoteric CD. On Twitter. And we welcome in our guest this week on the show. Uh, he is an opinion columnist for FoxNews.com. He's co host of the Conservatarians podcast with John Gabriel. So, finally, some professionalism on this podcast here. Also, formerly of uh, National Review Online and IJR, he is found on Twitter at Red Stees. He's Stephen Miller. Stephen, thank you for joining Political Beats.
2: I don't think I can top Jeff's really horrible horrible whatever
0: accent. Like vaguely... Nobody ever
2: accused
1: me of being good at accents. Stephen.
0: vaguely Australian, but I, I know that was not the target. Uh, God, God <laughs> oh, I'm not really
2: good at the northern thing. It's tough. I think when we do
0: the Men at yeah, Work but, episode, well,
2: like you know, you got to put a little more like spin on like you know, you got to be more like <laughs> like spud from train spotting. Get that real hard Manchester snarl, you know, although if the Manchester people just told me to talk more like Scottish people, I'd probably that would be it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Stephen Miller with us on the uh, Political Beats podcast today. Before we get to our band, uh, who is from across the pond, we first ask Stephen to tell us about his political beat and how he got involved in the uh, political ecosystem.
2: Uh, oh, God. I was probably the easiest way to say is that I was drafted into it, um, but not to be kind of the extremist activist thing. Um, I just, I, I, I uh, roughly about 2010, 2011, uh, I, uh, I just moved to New York City and um, I, I decided to go and do one of those wonderful things and fire up a Twitter account, which is, uh, as Noel Gallagher calls it, the Idiot's Playground. And um, started out like anybody else, just, you know, ha- you had a had a Twitter account where I would just go in and I would say things and fire off some things and thoughts and stuff like that and um, it just kind of grew and grew and grew and grew and, and I was as, you know as shocked as anybody and I eventually was like all right well if I get like ten thousand followers I'll start a blog or something so I, that's what I did I started a website called the Wilderness and. Um, It kind of just blossomed from there, and next thing you know, I'm you know I'm contributing to the evil empire and kind of laying waste to uh, the fun political moment that we're all having at this at this time. And um, yeah, so kind of spend you know as far as politics is concerned, I kind of spend my days. politically homeless, which I'm sure you've heard a lot on this podcast
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, from a lot of people. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm one of the po- politically homeless people on the ride. So I, I fall somewhere you know, between disenfranchised from the culture of Trump to also falling back to the culture of what we see in media and not learning lessons. And yeah, that's that's pretty much where I'm at right now. Um, so, so I'm drinking less, which is nice, which is good. So. <laughs> um, yes,
0: but
1: I'm drinking more because Steven sends me the occasional bottle of booze. <laughs> so, yeah, he's he's single handedly right. contributed to my increase. <laughs>
0: Oh man, he is he is he is driving you to a life of one of the songs and the first album of our artist today. Uh Stephen's favorite uh band of the band he wants to talk about here on Political Beats is uh is an English band. Um one of the most popular, one of the most critically acclaimed bands of, of that decade, the nineteen nineties, and helped to return British guitar pop to the top of the charts. Uh not quite as big here in America as they were in their native land, but still sold millions of albums here in the U.S., led by a pair of feuding brothers, which we've heard uh, a time or two in the world of music, uh, Liam and Noel Gallagher, they are Oasis. And we first turn the floor over to our guest, Stephen Miller, to tell us, uh, how did you get into Oasis? What does that music mean to you? Why should people care about this band? Oh, geez. Yeah,
2: I wouldn't say they're like my favorite band. I think they are really... Retroactively interesting band Especially in the um, The moment of you know like Where you're a podcast like this Intersects with music and politics is I think they were Kind of one of the first like Trump troll bands (laughs) Um, And uh, I would say Like the earliest the earliest thing I remember About Oasis I mean is that I actually I saw them live before I heard any song of theirs. My my brother, who's older than me, he's about six years older than me at the time, had tickets to their show and he's like, hey, do you wanna to come to the show? And it was kind of like, okay, sure. And it was at this um, tiny famous old theater in Denver called the Bluebird. And it, you've seen Bluebird in some movies and a lot of famous acts go through there. It's one of the more uh, just kind of older, again, famous theaters there. And I had no idea. My brother was just telling me they're this British band and they're they're kind of and they, you know, they, they like to insult their audience and stuff like that. They're, they're great. And I was kind of like, okay, you know, I got some of my musical influences from him. So I was like, all right, cool. So we go down and we're standing in the pit. We're one of the first ones there. And um, we're waiting. And so like, these guys come, these guys walk out. I don't know who the band members are at this time. And. Uh, they're like kind of like this this weird kind of Cockney prepsters. that kind of have this this, and then the singer walks on. He's got this weird sloppy strut, like kind of walking like a duck, and his arms behind his you know <laughs> legs. And of course, everyone knows that this is who Liam Gallagher goes on to become.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And he's got this tambour. He's kind of wearing like this white jumper. And he's got a tambourine around his neck, and uh, they they go right into this uh, track called Rock and Roll Star. Which was the uh, the track off their, their opening album, and he's he microphone like he kind of looks like a, a like a hunched down vulture almost the way he <laughs> sings behind the microphone, and he just starts kind of snarling these lyrics out, and it's, you know like I live my life for the stars that shine, and people say it's just a waste of time, and tonight I'm a rock and roll star, and I just was kind of like blown away by okay where the, where the hell has this been in in music.
3: Everybody!
2: I was too of age, like, 94, 95. I was like, a freshman in high school or so, and uh, it was the complete kind of antithesis of what rock music was to me. You know, mm-hmm. I was coming off two, to three years of all apologies, and you guys had Pearl Jam on last week, and um, which I think is kind of fitting that we're doing Oasis this week. Um, And you, what we saw is basically that a lot of people felt that way. Basically, this was the band that turned out to effectively kill the grunge movement after Cobain's death. I think Co- Cobain died in April of that year. Um and definitely maybe was released I think in August if I, if I'm correct y- you guys are the you guys are the fact checkers. Uh, August 29th,
0: 1994 in fact. Um, you were right on.
2: Yes. Right. So it was right like literally on the heels of, you know, Kurt Loder on MTV talking about the death of Kurt Cobain, to here comes this band out of the UK um with the complete Opposite attitude of you know this downtrodden angry grunge. It was just more, um, more bombastic. It was in your face. It was unashamed. They were like, yeah, we're going to be giant rock stars, and we're we're not going to apologize for any of that stuff. We should embrace it. Um, And, you know, for for kind of like a middle-class suburban hooligan that I was, that was really refreshing. Um, it was, it was, it was fun to hear where he had like Noel Gallagher had this great quote about these bands who act way too cool for stardom. And they basically say they only want to play music halls and pubs. And, uh, Noel Gallagher said is something to the effect of Phil Collins has to be chased off the charts. <laughs> Do it. It's like, you, you have to get in there among them and stand. you know, and I think the exact quote is you're probably going to bleep me is, uh, we have to step out. Um, and that's you know, and that was their attitude. And um, there was kind of that parallel of the of those tunes, um, they, they came from. And then when you obviously get into the band, and when I see this these guys live, then I go back and I'm obviously going to buy Definitely Maybe. And I remember not remembering any of the song titles, so I'm going through Definitely Maybe, going, oh, where was the ones that I liked? <laughs> oh, there's Columbia, which was the one that live really jumped out at me. I heard this song live, and I was just just completely blown away by it. Water. Not what I so Columbia was like one of the first songs that I think I killed all of my friends to death with listening to in the cars. I was driving them all to lunch, uh, for, you know, during lunch breaks at school. Um, and then of course you get into them a little bit and you learn that these, you know, these were kids that were kind of, you know, lower to middle-class kids in, in Manchester where they grew up. Their dad was a bit, was a bit of an alcoholic and, um, liked to kind of beat on them a little bit. And, um, that you could see how that kind of shaped their dysfunctional relationship a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's like, it's not related to me, my dad was not like an alcoholic or beat me or anything like that, but he, he was a really strict guy, um, you know, to the point of me having to move out eventually. Um, He's reformed now. I don't want to go too much into psychoanalysis, but um, that I didn't want to be where I was growing up and I didn't want to be who I was. And you know what? I didn't want to be in the, in the moment that I was in and I was kind of wanted something bigger and, uh, my surroundings weren't really doing that, and this is kind of where um, this band was, and this is kind of how I, you know, began to relate to this band and stuff like that. I wasn't doing anything where you like you imitate them or stuff like that. Um, but yeah, that was that was kind of the the opening sort of how Oasis kind of came by me, and then of course um, I just kind of hung on to them through uh, through thick and thin a little bit. Even I mean, even to the point where about. Fifteen years ago, when I was trying to be in a band myself with with a group of guys, that was one guy who was just a, an enormous Oasis fan. He kind of taught me about everything about them and their a lot of the a uh, lot of the other music and stuff like that. So I was able to even really dig into them that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not as successful in my music career as Oasis was. Just putting that out there,
0: <laughs> obviously.
2: Um,
0: well, that's I mean, we wouldn't you. Yeah, that was, to that you, that that were was true. kind
2: of the you know the my introduction to them and and kind of how I've come to, to kind of be one of their avid defenders. When I was a kid in high school, same, probably around the same
1: time as Stephen, uh, if you were into Britpop, if you were into the whole you know, UK scene that was sort of coming over here, uh, there, there were uh, fairly strict lines that were drawn. Um, you know, Radiohead was for the theater kids and, and the Artie weirdos, yeah. <laughs> uh, which I'll admit I was definitely one of them. But I, I, I had no other wider interests. Pulp was for the goths and the ones who did lots of like, you know, experimented the, with the
2: art school, the art school kids and art, you know. art
1: school guys and the ones who wanted to do E and like go to raves because uh, it was dance music. But uh, the big major Britpop division uh, was Oasis versus Blur.
3: Mm-hmm. And I
1: will be honest with you. I was a Blur guy. I was a militant Blur guy. I liked of everything. Of course I was. Yeah, you could that I even need to tell you this. It's just <laughs> obvious from anybody who knows me or my musical tastes that I was the Blur guy. And I and I loved Blur and I still love Blur. There's there's a band I'd love to do a show about one day. For all the flaws they had as a band, they were really interesting and they um they Always, I liked them over Oasis because, like, oh well, they weren't afraid to grow and experiment. Uh, they were very fond of like the kinksy sort of, uh, you know, Paul McCartney-esque melodies, and uh, and I therefore had a tribal hatred for Oasis. I was not allowed <laughs> to like them.
2: I, this is this. But you know, know, but you know, like that was mainly the whole Blur Oasis thing was mainly a media creation. Of course,
1: of course this is the the kind of thing that, that you realize that. Like,
2: that that oasis kind of played up to like the, when the british media and that of course and you're right like even that sunk through through some of my friends like i had friends who were soccer players in high school and they loved blur and i was just like get out of here as a hockey player all right, well, <laughs> okay but here's the thing this this is my story my friend
1: and i recognize that that was all a media creation in retrospect and of course now i'm a fan of both bands but back then i wasn't allowed Uh, sort of psychologically to like Oasis, even though even though back then I still heard songs like Wonderwall and Don't Look Back in Anger. And I was like, well, that's actually pretty good. But I didn't allow myself to go buy. What's the story? Morning Glory. I wouldn't buy. Definitely. Maybe I would actually make fun of them when I found them in other people's CD collections because, you know, kids are stupid like that. We're all little like territorial bastards who are trying to defend our turf. And say, well, my tastes are better than yours. We define ourselves in these ways. This is sort of like the way we fashion our identities, you know, as adolescents in a lot of ways is through your musical tastes. So I did not give Oasis a fair shake back then. They were just, you know, the other team. They were the, the guys with the blue foam fingers and I was the guys with the red foam fingers. So I didn't give them the, the, the time of day. It's only when I came back to them, you know, after having gotten into all the bands from that scene and really explored it. So they talking like 15, 10, 15 years later is the time when I first gave Oasis the fair shake that they deserved. And of course I came back and I realized, well, you know, what the heck was I trying to sell to myself? This is a great band. And there is something, boy, Stephen did a great job of uh, sort of capturing the appeal of Oasis as just, you know, unabashed and unashamed rock stars. Mm. These guys came out and they wore sunglasses and they had cigarettes dangling out of their mouths and a bottle of booze on the stage. And, you know, they'd get into fights and get thrown off of fairies and escorted out of clubs because they were doing the stupid rock star stuff that rock stars are supposed to do. But there wasn't any self-consciousness about it. But more than that, there was also an intelligence and a wit behind everything that they did as well, which I think is peculiar british um they're the opposite of pearl jam pearl jam i love pearl jam we talked about them last week pearl jam is a deadly serious band they take themselves so seriously everything is a crusade everything is you know deeply important statement um you know eddie vetter uh you know pulling a liam gallagher is something you would never hear about in a million years and i loved oasis when i came back to them as a band that was more like The Who to me, uh, in the sense that these guys were making good music, good rock music, but they also just sort of laughed at themselves and they never took themselves too seriously except for the fact that they took themselves seriously as rock stars and they ended up putting out um, a surprisingly great amount of music that extends beyond those first two albums which of course we're going to talk about and everybody knows those first two albums and then everybody sort of thinks like well yeah and then they just kind of became irrelevant after that Um, but they didn't, they didn't Uh, they finally broke up in 2009 after one too many fights between Liam and Noel but
0: man the the legacy is there
1: and it's great
0: and go ahead steven no nope, go ahead i was going to segue us into the first album um which was released as, as Stephen mentioned previously in august of 1994 and a little like jeff i had closed myself off to oasis a bit during that time uh and and uh, actually uh, somewhere around when the the uh master plan was released um, began to kind of revisit what I missed and, and uh, uh, I missed a lot and definitely maybe again listening it, uh, listening to it again in preparation for the show. Man oh man I, I think it's Oasis's best album. I think it's better than, than Morning Glory and it's just everything that Stephen mentioned about these guys coming out and wanting to be rock stars and wanting to escape from their mundane everyday lives and it's all over the album, um, you know the recording process. They they put together, uh, it went through their first sessions. They scrapped them. They re-recorded them. They still didn't like the way that that uh, it sounded, even though they were they were recording with no soundproofing between the instruments. So everything kind of was blending together. And they they bring in Owen Morris um, to to put together a final mix, which would be what you heard on the album, and it works so well for the the the, the immediacy of, of the music. Um, and as uh, I think Jeff was pointing out, or maybe Steven, you know, we had grunge and then you had Oasis. And there was so much on Definitely Maybe that was uh, diametrically opposed to Alice in Chains and Pearl Jam and the seriousness of that music. Um, you know, the, the songs like Rock and Roll Star, I mean, the very first track on the album. I think Live Forever still might be the high point of the career of Oasis. Live Forever is one of the best tracks of that decade, it uh, you know that, that falsetto chorus line, the soaring melody. Uh, it, it's a simple arrangement, and it, it, the song never really, really resolves itself. It, it could go on and on and on.
2: Live forever is a great, great stuff. Most of their songs don't ever really resolve themselves. (laughs) The only way they know how to like resolve some of their tracks is by winding it down with string sections. (laughs) beyond (laughs) Beyond that, you're right. Every single one of their tracks could go on for 23 minutes unless somebody hit the stop button, which was ultimately the problem with Be Here Now.
1: Right. Yeah. I think okay the thing about definitely maybe is that you, you, I went back and I picked this up it would have been like 10 years ago now and then the minute I put it on I immediately understood okay this is no wonder this band was huge it doesn't have a pretentious bone in its body it's just noisy don't give a rip you know rock that has solidly written backbones to all of the stuff mm-hmm. um I think its rep is a bit overinflated. I think that definitely maybe is, 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 is an album that has a lot of great songs, but it is also very clearly um, a debut album, and it, and it has a tendency to be a bit too monochromatic, but I think people loved it because it hit that sweet spot that everyone was absolutely yearning for. It was you know, straight ahead, no irony rock music that never apologizes for what it is, and it um, maintains its quality all the way through. Now, you talked about the guitars. I think actually, definitely, maybe his greatest legacy is that that chunky guitar tone, mm-hmm. uh, which is sort of ended up defining the classic Oasis sound. And apparently, it was a pure accident, just because it was such a poorly recorded record. And they had to like go back and try to remix it to make it sound listenable. What they ended up coming up with when they went through all the little you know trickeries to uh, you know turn it into a releasable product is a sound that uh, has. Didn't sound like anything else that was on the scene at the time. Uh, but the songs on this album, that, the, okay, the perfect example of, of what makes Definitely Maybe great and kind of what makes Oasis great, the, the second song on the album is called Shaker Maker. It, it's one of the mindlessly, most mindlessly stupid lyrics I've ever <laughs> heard in my life. It sounds like one of those Led Zeppelin bluesy epics, but the lyrics are somehow even dumber than what Robert Plant would come up with. But that actually makes it a better song because it's just something it, you've Liam Gallagher's voice and it, it it basically just screams to me more beer please. <laughs> uh every every time he sings you just you just think like okay, this guy is going to go watch a football game down at the pub, get into an argument with three guys in the back alley, come home and sing this song and then go to bed wake up with a hangover and that's a certain kind of like lifestyle that has a deep appeal I think in its simplicity and its, its uncomplicated life. Columbia, I agree with Steven, I think it's probably the best song on the album but uh, the other one I have to say uh, I've always liked is the, the lyric to Supersonic which is a classic Noel Gallagher nonsensical lyric. Uh, I know a girl called Elsa, she's into Alka-Seltzer uh, that's true rock poetry right there. <laughs> this is um, so, good. so good
3: You need to be a star. Elsa. She's into out and sells She slips it through a cane on a super sonic train. And she makes me laugh. I got her a lot of breath. she done it with the doctor. On but, like, yeah, i mean, like to hear
2: you Like, you're on to it. About, about the lyrics. And this is the biggest problem people have with them. But, if right. you even 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 Noel Gallagher said this about champagne Supernova, which is he said he i think his quote is just you know slowly walking down the whole festival kind of a, who knows what the hell that means mate put a good tune behind it and it 's great <laughs> right. that's, he's, I mean when you talk about being unabashed that 's what they are I mean Noel Gallagher is never going to be ben gibbard okay he's never you know he 's never going to write those kind of like soul bearing there's a couple and and there's they 're on kind of my list um, for later. And they, those are their best songs. When Noel Gallagher really bears his soul, you're like, oh, wow, this guy, you know, these guys have a heart. Um, but, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right about the lyrics. And people, you either, again, this is the this is one of these dividing lines with Oasis and why I think they're so fascinating to talk about, especially in, like, social media and Twitter ages. You either really love these things or you hate them. And then the people who love them go, well, no, they, they meant to do that. They're supposed to be doing that. <laughs> um with the lyrics i think you're absolutely like supersonic's a perfect example of just the most nonsensical crap where you're just like huh but again you're talking about a moment in music where people wanted that kind of nonsensical after like what you said of just years of you know kirk cobain screaming rape me you or know like you're you know, kind of Tom like, York's you know, talking about how he's a creep and he's a weirdo i mean come on enough of that crap right <laughs> you yeah. on, right Right, right, right. and so you're right about how this was a band who was just not insecure about what they were, and you're and again, to be able to talk about definitely maybe you you absolutely have to talk about the moment that it was released in you you came off of three mm-hmm. or three two, three years of grunge. Grunge was coming off of what two, three, four years of the death of you know, kind of that hair metal and the super groups. Um, there wasn't really this this there really wasn't like what you said this unabashed just we want to be rock stars really loud hooky guitar music it was like it was like catchies you know catches and hooks were and and tunes were outlawed and oasis (laughs) really did bring that back it was and again you know for millennials listening to this they're going to listen to it definitely maybe and go yeah uh," but again you you know it it was different it was so yeah yeah could kind of be thirty something funny that he's talking about it, you really did have to witness that moment where basically um, Oasis really did kill that movement in music.
0: And I, I, I mean, I, there's,
1: there's there's a song on the back end of this album called "Digsy's Dinner," which is mm-hmm. a stupid title. But you strip away the guitars from yeah. that song and it, it's a Paul McCartney tune from the White album. It's Honey Pie for crying out loud. I mean it's yeah. just like a really nice piano
2: and the piano and the something.
1: It's just like it's it's a nice little clomp clomp melodic number and it's like, wait. There's a band who's kind of returning to the eternal verities of classic
0: pop music. And God, that was refreshing in 1994. Scott, I cut you off. What were yeah, you saying? i just say later on, I think it was around 2000 that uh, one of my favorite bands, the Black Crows and Oasis, toured together. And they call it the Tour of Brotherly Love because they both had bands with brothers who wanted to kill each other most of the time. And it didn't make much sense to me at that point. But looking back, it makes all the sense in the world. Uh, I mean, the non grunge. Bands of that era, you know, the Black Crows were there doing their best faces in Rolling Stones impersonation and Oasis was there doing, you know, basically the best uh, uh, Beatles kind of T-Rex imitation they could. And those two sounds for most of the decade were much different than anything else that was being put out on, you know, quote unquote, mainstream rock kind of bands. It wasn't grungy. um, It wasn't really pure poppy like some of the uh i don't know i'm saying like uh, collective soul kind of singles were, were very poppy but it was just very classicist uh i think that's a word um classicist classicist I think yes the but it was just i mean these guys were not afraid to be emulating the kind of music that they grew up with and loved and they wanted to play and they wanted to be rock and roll stars and then they got there um <laughs> what happened afterwards no, you, was you that it's,
2: re- it's really interesting like how you kind of wandered into that is um um, just as I was talking to Jeff about some of this stuff, like how, you know, what to go into. I mean, a lot of people say that about Oasis is, you know, they're just ripping off the Beatles. They're just, you know, this was, they think they're the Beatles and dah, da da. And, uh, Beatles were never a, as huge an influence on them overtly as people say. They, I mean, if you listen to tracks, there's, there's clearly Liam Gallagher's love is love is I want love and everyone wants love act is clearly to me like a John Lennon riff. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, this was a band whose biggest influences were The Smiths and The Jam. Um, Paul Weller was basically Noel Gallagher's idol in in everything. And if you go back and if you listen to a lot of um, a lot of the Jam stuff, um, especially like around eighty, uh, "The Gift" and um, "Underground" could be a, a Liam Gallagher song. Um, that's where you hear a lot of Oasis, um, and right. and even early, a lot of Johnny Marr's early stuff is where you hear most of Oasis. People who are like, ah, they're trying to be the Beatles. You would go to them and you say no 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 no. here's who, who's who here's who they're really ripping off <laughs> and you give them the jam and you give them you know some early smith stuff and you find out oh yeah that's that's who they're trying to be Um yeah strange town it's an
1: oasis song at all in all but name even though it was released in 1980 by the jam so yeah exactly
2: right i mean yeah that... and, and it's crazy to see yeah and that, how noel gallagher basically became kind of this He's the musician's nerd kid. He had Liam, who's just the pompous rock star, and then Noel Gallagher basically used his fame to go hang out and record with all of his (laughs) idols, like Paul Weller and Johnny Marr. Um, And that was one of the other fun dynamics between the two. And
1: now he's like best buds with Bono. You know, yeah, it's like even yeah. more pretentious.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he basically, you know, you had Liam Gallagher who kind of wanted the lifestyle and just wanted to be the guy who you know ticked off the media and gives all the sound bites, so and Noel Gallagher, Oasis, pretty much is Noel Gallagher in his room alone with a guitar, coming up with songs, and that's definitely maybe was that it was basically Noel Gallagher's, you know, as a as a kid and as a younger you know lad, as they say in Manchester, just literally sitting around. In in his room, sipping tea, smoking cigarettes, strumming his guitar, and anyone who's ever known people in bands knows a, a Noel Gallagher. <laughs> they know a guy who's just uh, a student of music and is using this to kind of hope to be in a rock band, but probably doesn't think they will one day. And then, kind of what you said, Scott, is he hits it big, and he basically takes that. He takes everything he good, and he's like, "All right," he runs down the list of all of the idols he wants to meet and work with. Yeah, um, I think he, I think he's talking like even this year, he's talking about wanting to record a James Bond song with Paul Weller, and who wouldn't want to hear that? It would be amazing. <laughs> you know, it'd be better than the Sam Smith's song, that's yeah, for sure. For sure.
1: Yeah, <laughs> of course, this takes us to uh, sort of the ultimate, cl- God, it makes us feel really old to say this, one of now the ultimate classic rock albums of the
0: 90s. 22 years uh, and, ago. Yeah.
1: Well, actually, you know what? Before I get to what's the story, Morning Glory, there's there's one thing I want to mention. They released this one non-album single in between um, Definitely Maybe and Morning Glory. It's called Whatever. And uh, this is, by the way, you know, we just spent a lot of time talking about how the Beatles aren't the biggest influence on Oasis, but they sure as hell are the biggest influence on whatever, which is like, you know, strings, you know, they have a fake applause. It's, It's damn near chamber music. Um, but it's yeah. just a really catchy little like, you know, chamber pop rock song. And uh, again, we'll talk about this later too. some fantastic B-sides on there uh, called It's Good to Be Free. And I think Half a World Away is the other B-side of that. Um, just there's a whole tradition that died out in America, but was still a big thing in the United Kingdom of uh, releasing non-album singles and b-sides uh that really didn't end until the cd era ended in the late 90s and early 2000s and oasis was a huge part of that i really love whatever um it's one of those songs that it's not on the album so unless you've really gone out of your way to figure uh, out or go get the compilations you may never have heard of it you should check it out
2: Jeff's already
1: spoiling one of my top five key songs of Oasis. No, no, I didn't realize. That. Okay, this of course takes us up to and, uh... this 1995. <laughs> we're in 1995, you know, and uh, you know, Blur is at the top of the charts. Radiohead has released the Bends, and then what happens? Well, the Oasis comes out with "What's the Story, Morning Glory." which is an album that everybody owns. Even people who don't like Oasis know this album. All
2: cool, uh, right. And all that nonsense. Didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> and it's, I can't argue with it. I
1: mean, this is clearly in my opinion, their best album. It's, it's this album that has three songs that every human being of a certain age knows basically by memory, uh, which is wonder wall. Of course. Um, Don't Look Back in Anger, of course, and Champagne Supernova. uh, All three are great songs, but the thing that makes Morning Glory so great is that every other song on the album, literally every other song on the album, even the stupid like minute-long instrumental tracks are great songs. (laughs) There's nothing on this album that is poor. I think some of my favorite songs on this album are uh, the ones that aren't as famous, like uh, She's Electric, which has that great, like, and I want you to know, I want you to say... Beatles 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 Uh, Roll With It is another great song uh, Right up until that chorus, which kind of lets it down It gets a little bit weirdly honky-tonk And I'm not a huge fan of the chorus But everything about Roll With It is great And Cast No Shadow has uh, uh, got that, that, that guitar in the background uh, I'm not sure who's playing it Whether it's Noel or it's um, Bonehead By the way, this is everything you want to know about Oasis Can be summed <laughs> up in the fact that uh, a major member of the band Was called Bonehead um, <laughs>
2: But, but it's that's, like a, that's like a term of endearment for those guys. Where right, like, I
1: you know, know. It's like, yeah. Know. About, you talk
2: know, about these kids, the Everybody... soccer hool- these soccer hooligans smashing beer bottles over each other's heads. Oh, all right, you got Bonehead there, uh, don't you? Uh, <laughs> well, Bonehead plays some really great
1: guitar. Sounds very George Harrison-like on Cast No Shadow. All these songs are great. I know, Stephen, you told me before we started the show that you're kind of tired of what's the story, Morning Glory, because it is obviously <laughs> no, their most
2: is... overplayed album, but I think oh, it's man.
1: fantastic.
2: Yeah, the thing about it's not so much being tired of it. It's that to me. What's the story? Of Morning Glory is the Empire Strikes Back of follow-up albums. <laughs> um, it's like it, you're not. They aren't going to top it, no matter what. And you know what? Uh, we could all line up like Star Wars movie tomorrow, and you know, try to read spoilers on an Oasis album, and you know, do this thing where everybody online is talking about it and trying to avoid spoilers of Oasis. Like again, like a Star Wars movie. And inevitably, we're all going to walk away and go. That wasn't The Empire Strikes Back. I don't know. (laughs) And and even like their last albums were kind of like, you know, you're not going to, you know, no, that wasn't important. And that's kind of how I always remembered what's a story, Morning Glory. So it's not that I'm not, I I, like don't want to go into it or talk, but I don't think I need to go into it. It's like you said, every track on there, everybody kind of knows. um, You know, trying to dig into their library and go, well, what are the tracks off this? Um, I I think what's amazing about Glory is the. Is the b-sides to that album i think are almost as good or maybe better than the album itself if you listen to like the b-sides where there's talk tonight there's acquiesce mm-hmm. uh rock and chair um the master plan, master song, plan. song it's on A that drinker i mean um yeah, these are th- th- these songs could have made an album, and I mean, probably should have been an album about "Be Here Now," which we go into later. But that's my thing. It's it's far more interesting for me to like go into something like "Be Here Now" and break it down and figure out what went wrong and how we could fix it than like rant about how good Wonderwall is. I think I think Wonderwall and that kind of album actually probably hurt them artistically in the end because it did become. Like Wonderwall and Champagne Supernova which are actually not even close to my favorite songs ever of this band. I'm, I'm kind of one of these fans who loved Oasis. I was one of the Brit Rock kids who loved them. You know, smoking cigarettes and snarling and you know doing this kind of stuff and then bro chavs latch on to Oasis like the the frat boys latch onto him with Wonder Wall becomes kind of this frat anthem where you're raving your wet cup in the air and you know, Baby, you're gonna be the one that saves me. And um the rest of us kind of just like winced and went, Dude, what 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 is this? We don't want this. And um well, why are the wrong people so, liking
1: my favorite band <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's
2: kind of what it was it, and you, I didn't blame them I mean again you don't blame the band that wants to become big and you know it that really hits their moment but it was kind of it was exactly kind of what you said is just when you're a young kid you're just like oh that these guys like this band that I like now and I think that they still fight that stigma today I think um, people who are a fan of music still feel that way a little bit at Oasis and that's kind of one of the interesting things about doing something like this for an hour or so is I can come on and say no that's great that you like Wonderwall but you stopped listening to them afterwards and mm-hmm. that was probably the biggest mistake you made with them. Um but it's it's undeniable like you said you talk about it. every track some might say I think it's probably my personal favorite track off that album. Um if just off the top of my head if I had to throw it out there. Um but yeah, I mean you're right. Every every track that just goes down um it just, it, it peaks and there's no getting around. They, they haven't, you know, they peaked and went down and they've come up a little bit, but they will, again, they'll never be as good as Empire Strikes Back again.
0: And I'm, I'm actually with Stephen a bit on the, you know, Wonderwall and Champagne Supernova. I don't know if I heard them too much uh, under, not under duress, but you know, without even wanting to hear them, but I, it's hard for me to, to accurately assess them other than, than to say, I don't love them. Uh, and they're not anywhere near the top 20 oasis songs that i would have if i put together a list the one single that i, I do think holds up well and i liked like even in the time is is don't look back at anger those huge choruses uh, thundering piano intro reminds me a lot of watching the wheels the, the lennon solo track and then through the through the song itself there's some mop the hoople in there too but I, i've always liked don't look back at anger uh, among the hit songs so start
3: a revolution from my
0: And even among the album tracks, not mentioned yet, the first song of the album, Hello, uh, which I like a lot, Gary Glitter had to get a Co-write on that because uh, Noel Noel borrowed a bit too liberally, I suppose. <laughs> he um, does that. He does yeah. that. That's, but, one
2: of, that's one of those things we just go, no, no, no. He he didn't, you know. You yeah, know, He's only been sued six times. <laughs> <laughs> only.
0: Yeah. But you know, some, hey,
2: hey, we, fewer times in Zeppelin at least. Yeah. So there
0: you go. But <laughs> even right. some of the lyrics in "Hello," you know, we had the chance, threw it away. It's never going to be the same. Um, I think they could kind of see almost what was what was around the corner uh, with with the next album or two. I mean, more. Glory is an outstanding album I, I, I emailed Jeff I just think it's just a cut below definitely maybe and, and perhaps if I liked Wonderwall and Champagne Supernova a bit more than I actually do it would be right on par but but for my money I still I, I like definitely maybe better uh, than, than Morning Glory
2: let me just take this uh, I think I think yeah I think I think you're right about uh, don't look back in anger it, I mean to, to give you just an idea of kind of the effect a song like that has is after the terror attack in Manchester yeah um, right the, the people are all standing around and they kind of just break into don't look back in anger and you're thinking, I guess, I get it's Manchester. Um, but this also kind of comes back to Oasis's moment in the States when after they peaked with um, morning glory and then be here now comes out on some mass people just went, Oh, that's it. That those guys were fun. <laughs> and they think that that was, they, they think that that was it. Um, but you go overseas and you go into England and again, 25 years later, um, don't Look Back in Anger becomes kind of this unifying anthem about Manchester, which Liam Gallagher kind of hated. Liam Gallagher k- kind of went the whole full Trump mode with that song and said, <laughs> you know, I don't get why you people are singing this song. You people are getting their heads cut off. We need to do something. <laughs> and that yeah. was Liam Gallagher's, <laughs> you know, Noah Gallagher Noah Gallagher performed Don't Look Back in Anger. This, if And if you, you have to go watch this, this is kind of one of these moments in music kind of thing. In um, Anger at the Benefit show um, in Manchester, And he basically had the audience sing the whole song, and he tears up on stage. You see see him kind of – he tears up and he wipes his eyes, and um, he just – it's him alone with the acoustic guitar doing Don't Look Back in Anger, and he kind of lets the crowd sing it. And again, like going back to what you said, Scott, there's something about a song like that that 20 years later, this is the first thing these people Mm – go to on the eve of kind of a tragedy like that um, I think it really speaks to I don't even think it speaks to the band as, as much as it does the anthem and um, I, I think that that's probably going to go down as you know rock and roll hall of fame style Oasis is probably their, their best track as far as you know most recognizable with the band
1: I'm gonna just say a brief word here in defense of Wonderwall. We've talked about, oh, it's super famous. Oh, it's overrated. Everybody who, you know, heard this song stopped giving any, you know, attention to the band afterwards, and it's unfortunate. I don't care. Wonderwall is a great friggin song. It's so well arranged. The melody line. You know you have the first you know two days is going to be the day that I throw it all back to you but then you have you know and all the roads we have to walk are winding you have that pre-chorus I always love it winding. when a band sticks a pre- <laughs> yeah, winding I love it when a band sticks a pre-chorus in there and then gives you the gold for you know the, and maybe you're going to be the one that saves me the chorus um, that's always a sign of a really well-thought-out and well-written song. And the other thing is, is like, I think that's one of Liam Gallagher's most absolutely iconic vocal performances. How many people have done an imitation of that nasally Liam Gallagher voice, done it entirely on the basis of... Too one many. Too many people, but I mean, it is truly an iconic moment. Back beat, the word is on the street That the fire in your heart is out
2: Entire subgenre of YouTube where you can just go in and see Wonderwall, and you can look at this entire subgenre on YouTube of uh, or, uh, of YouTube of people trying to do Wonderwall. Dude, it's, dude, it's dude, ter- dude, dude! dude it's, it's Liam Gallagher. frightening. It's terrifying. It's hilarious. Liam Gallagher recently did like a Reddit
1: AMA where somebody sent him, or maybe it was Noel actually, uh, who they, they they sent him a video, one of these videos of like some random guy yeah. like doing Wonderwall. So he's <laughs> he's
2: just saying, like, and he was he's actually watching it.
1: He's like, not bad, mate. You know, this is pretty good. You know? yeah, he's like,
2: it's better, it's better, it's better than the guy we got to sing it in the first time. Yeah, he right. throws in those digs at He Throws Liam. in the dig at yeah. Liam, um, but it's a good song. Yeah, I actually like... would actually say that uh, Ryan Adams' cover of it. Uh, we talked
1: about this on our Ryan Adams episode. A very strange and interesting recasting of the song about a decade later. It's almost as good, but I, the original is still the classic, and it deserves to be given credit for that, despite the fact that it's their most overplayed anthem.
0: This is Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. Subscribe to our feed for new episodes on Mondays, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or right there at nationalreview.com. Listen, enjoy, please leave reviews as well. And you can find uh, the show on Twitter at political underscore beats is the uh, show's Twitter account. There's a Facebook page too, but I, I will tell you that our Twitter uh, handle, our account, is far more popular than our Facebook page. So, Twitter is the place to be for uh, discussion. Uh, Scott Bertram, Jeff Blair, and Stephen Miller with us this week, uh, opinion columnist for FoxNews.com, co host of the Conservatarians podcast with John Gabriel at Red Red Steez on Twitter. Uh, and I think here, guys, we want to talk a bit about the uh, the B sides that were released during the um, or the, yeah that were released during this time. Many of them were found uh, on the master plan, which actually released after *Be Here Now*. But the songs date from this era of uh, of the band. You know, we talked about the Smiths a couple of weeks ago on the show, and how important it was for that band with their their B sides and even even you know Creedence a few a uh, few shows ago. They were releasing double A side singles, all their best stuff in a very short amount of time. Noel Gallagher was in such a songwriting groove and a winning streak. They were just pumping out outstanding songs uh some of them unavailable uh, easily to americans until uh the master plan was released and i think this i think well the master plan and, and these b-sides are essential to understanding how great oasis was during this time period um Acquiesce, which uh, which Stephen mentioned previously might be my favorite oasis song of them all. Um, I think it might have been one of the first where they where they shared vocals. Liam sang the verses, Noel sang the choruses. It's almost this conversation between the two of them. There's this wonderful moment after the first chorus into the second verse where their voices blend into each other, and the song just takes off in that into that second verse.
2: I'm just Scott, being... Scott, 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 Scott just like went down my whole thing for one of my other <laughs> songs. For <always>. It's, it's <laughs> great. But it, I love it. It's just me. I'm in good company.
0: Yeah. I mean, that, that is by just. By all
2: means, keep stealing my thunder. That
0: long. is a fantastic, fantastic song. And, you know, up and down uh, some of the B-sides. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to refer to the master plan because, again, that's really where my entry point was. To Oasis, by and large. There are two, count them, two, what I would say, you know, Burt Bacharach tributes on this, on this, uh, on, on the master plan, these B-sides. Going Nowhere, which is uh, one where Noel takes the lead vocals, and then uh, another Noel vocal, Half the World Away, which he just straight up admits is kind of a crib of this guy's in love with you, a Burt Bacharach, Hell David tune. To about leaving a stagnant life in a boring old city, which is a lot of what they talked about on, definitely maybe right at the end of the uh, Master Plan. Head Shrinker is just this pulverizing song, this giant mix of guitar and distorted vocals, um, and then the Master Plan itself, the uh, uh, that song, very late Beatles, epic in scope. It really takes off with the chorus, and there's backwards guitar solo. Toward the center of the song um, These B-sides that were released during the time And that again compiled on the master plan Are outstanding Many of them are just outstanding And I think essential to understand How good Noel Gallagher was at his craft During that time period And I guess maybe even also Why they were so much bigger in Britain That They had access to a lot of these songs That Americans did not And they're right. great, great songs
1: I mean, the thing is, there there were three great B-side bands, uh, the 90s, UK, British scene. Uh, one of them was Radiohead, of course, whose B-sides are, are, are just really amazing. Uh, uh, another one was Suede, uh, which mm-hmm. is a band I think I would argue uh, their B-sides in many ways were better than their albums, which is a very weird thing, a uh, weird accomplishment for a band that's pretty good band and of course the third was Oasis. Uh, These songs are just as much a part of the Oasis story as anything on Definitely Maybe or uh, Morning Glory or Be Here Now or whatever and it's funny I don't think anyone's mentioned my favorite and this would be one of my favorite songs which is Underneath the Sky Mm -hmm. Um, kind of like this shimmering like weirdly produced acoustic guitar kind of a thing Uh, I really love it. I think it was the B side of uh, Don't Look Back in Anger I think But, uh, you know, just the album is full of these things. There's even like a live version of I Am the Walrus, which somehow miraculously manages (laughs) not to suck. Um, Because anybody trying to cover a song uh, like I Am the Walrus, which is an a complete studio creation by the Beatles should fail, uh, uh, by definition, but no, they, they rock it out and they actually make it really interesting. And again, Liam Gallagher obsessed with John Lennon. He, he, he gets the spirit of Lennon. He knows how to deliver the lines of that song and make it work. Um, there's just so many gems to be found on the master plan. And, and it is proof positive that this is one of the great B sides bands of maybe all time.
2: Uh, I think master plans are best album. Um, which is uh, again, I mean, you guys kind of just covered everything. Um, if if someone were to te- you know come to me and say what what would you what would, what's Oasis like? Who's Oasis and stuff like? That, I wouldn't give them definitely maybe right away. I give them the master plan and then I give them definitely maybe, and say okay, so this is this is who you this is the songs I want you to listen to to get a feel for them. And then here's definitely maybe, and this was the band they became. Um, it, it really is kind of this, this album where you see a lot of soul bearing, like talk tonight mm-hmm. um, is one of my favorite Oasis tracks, even though it's a little nonsensical. You think, you think Noel Gallagher is talking to a dog through the song. <laughs> uh, Cause he talks about, you know, making sure you're fed and giving you a bone. But it's actually, you know, a lot of these tracks is came out of when Oasis they hit it big, and then they all started hating each other. Right. So they started hitting the road, and you know, they kind of started effing off with each other. And Liam was going, you know, becoming late, not showing up, and then all of this stuff happened. And then uh, Talk Tonight was kind of the first track where Noel quit the band. It was like I think he was in Southern California, and he he basically quit the band because uh, out of Liam's antics or something like that. And I think it, um, if i don't know if this happened at once but this will be a good story let's pretend that this really happened and we can verify it later is um during the mtv unplugged was kind of the famous moment when liam gallagher walked off and then noel gallagher did mtv unplugged on the stage Mm -hmm. while noel gallagher was up up in the rafters or up in the balcony liam is heckling from from the the balcony the whole time, and noel gallagher is just kind of laughing him off and you're having a good show up there you know and um after that show Noel Gallagher just that was it he was like I'm done I'm leaving and he got on a plane to go hang out with this girl he knew for, in San Francisco for a week yes, and yeah. he wrote he wrote Talk Tonight basically on the way to go see her um and that song Talk Tonight is basically that it's Noel Gallagher being like I want to get away from all of this I don't want to deal with this kid in my band I don't want to do that. I just want to go and talk with someone and... I
3: want to talk tonight until But how you save my life You will see how we are You will see how we
2: are Going nowhere is, is another one where it's just no strength it's just you know the, the chorus in that, buy me a fancy car, maybe a Jaguar, you know, and it does that kind of thing. Um, I, again, uh, Acquiesce, I'll, I'll kind of praise later, uh, but Listen Up is one of my favorite heavy tunes of them, because um, it just arrives, in, and um you have Rockin' Chairs. Another one is one of my favorite heavy tunes of them. And then, of course, Half the World Away is just one of these anthems you would just, like, send your girlfriend if she was, you know, not near you at any time. <laughs> um, and that, it really encapsulates everything. Like that, When you talk about something like Wonderwall, that was the, that was the, that was the song the bros put on the mixtape to their girl. <laughs> you know, I really like, here's my mixtape, here's Wonderwall. Oh, you know, if I'm doing it, I'm putting Talk Tonight or Half a World Away on there. Um, and so, and you're right, and Jeff's kind of right about I'm the Walrus. I, I just don't really like a live track dropped in there. It's really distracting to me. So I don't really give that one. I kind of just skip over it, mm-hmm. um, just for immersion's sake. Um, but yeah, you, you really wonder, um, if if some of these songs could have made it onto Be Here Now, and I know they recorded B sides, so there's it, it's you're, you're kind of having to mix and match. But um even uh, Stay Young, which I think Stay Young was actually a uh, Be Here a Now B side, yeah, it is. And if and if again you put um, if you put Stay Young on Be Here Now, I mean you have a different album. Now, this, of course, brings us to the
1: famously troubled follow-up to What's the Story Morning Glory? Be Here Now. The the cover kind of says it everything. They recreate the famous Keith Moon scene. There's a car in the swimming pool. They're all standing there uh, in the reverie. The only thing missing from that cover is the giant bag of cocaine that must
2: have been present <laughs> That's in the because it was
0: already up their noses. Oh, it's...
2: Yes, they couldn't yeah. find it. It's, it's the, it. it's there. It's it's in <laughs> Liam. You just can't see it. <laughs> you just can't see it. It's coursing through their veins <laughs> as, as, as they take Liam the is, photo. Liam Gallagher... Yeah, Liam Gallagher is standing in for the cocaine on that album. On that
1: album. <laughs> <laughs> so the question I offer, uh, is anybody here willing to make a defensive be here now for... Background, historical background for those people listening. This is the most anticipated album oh, of the yes. entire nineties. After Morning Glory was so huge, everybody was wondering what Oasis was gonna come up with next. And what do they do? They took all of their fame, all of their glory, they let it go to their heads, so goes the legend, and they came out with an album that is 70. One friggin' minutes long. Every single song on this record, I think, is over four and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. There's nothing. There's like the reprise of "All
2: Around the World." I think it's like short. It's only two minutes for a <laughs> reprise. A
1: reprise yeah, is two the, minutes that's long. That's what I
2: liked about "All Around the World." That's about how everybody felt at the end of the album. That yes. we had literally just gone around, the world, All around and, the world. And it took and it took weeks and weeks and weeks. So this this album was by the, given by the time it's over. This album's given rapturous reviews
1: when it was released. I think a lot of people felt guilty about missing the boat with Oasis on Definitely Maybe and Morning Glory. So they just said, oh, well, the new one's going to be great. And they thought it great. In retrospect, everybody hates it, considers it sort of the height of cocaine indulgence, the end of Brit rock or Brit pop as a scene. Um, but I'll tell you the truth. I think that it's way too friggin' long as a record, but I kind of like it. I can defend a lot of the music on this album, but I want to know what you guys think.
2: Uh, I don't know if I will defend it. Uh, it's, it's. I'm not going to be that kind of, uh, you know, stick my head in the sand fan with a band. I don't know if there's enough to defend it. What I will say is, here's how I would fix it. Uh, this is, this is basically what I would do if, if you could give me, you know, magical powers, and if I could go and fix "Be Here Now" and then put it onto a playlist, and if you gave me hours and hours of studio time. Um, Here's what I would do. I would like what Jeff said. I would cut every song down to about four minutes. <laughs> like just cut it off right there. Um, I would I would keep. Do you know what I mean? Is your intro song? I think I think. Do you know what I mean? Is like maybe their best intro song besides Rock and Roll Star because it gives you the helicopter thing. Like they're coming down into Altamont kind of thing. Uh, we're arriving at Glastonbury and We're here. And- I would then put Stay Young on the album. I would um, I would get rid of I Hope I Think I Know. I would get in. I would get rid of uh, Fade In Out, whatever yeah, that was. That's a, not a
0: good
2: uh, one. <laughs> right. I would uh, keep My Big Mouth, but again, cut it down to three and a half to four minutes. Um, Stand By Me, I think, is the, like the most the, – the track on there has the most possibility where you realize it just goes off the rails when it goes on for seven right. and a half minutes. You're right. like, oh, this is like an Oasis song. This is like um, – Um, you know, and then it just keeps and you're like, okay, so I would keep Stand By Me. Um, I would keep Girl in the Dirty Shirt. I would then also put on If We Shadows, which is a B-side. It's an acoustic Noel song, um, which is one of those, again, soul bearing, you know, Wonderwall style, Talk Tonight style songs. Um, I would, of course, keep Don't Go Away, which is, I think, the, the the best song on that album. That's the staple Oasis song of that album. Keep Be Here Now, which is another great one. It's Be Here Now is another one of those where you hear that and you're like, oh, and then it just goes again. The roller coaster flies off the curve. Um, put on Half the World Away, um, which would have been an, an enormous single had that been on that album. And then keep All Around the World. So that's how I would fix Be Here Now. I'd lose three tracks. Add on Stay Young, add on If We Shadows, um, and add on Half the World Away. I actually think, I hope I think I know is one of the better
1: songs on this album. (laughs) I like that song. I I would have kept that. Uh, The Girl in the Dirty Shirt, also not a bad song. I mean, every song on this record, I think, has something going on with it for the most part. It's just that they're all like two and a half, three minutes too long. And I just don't understand how any band can get away with not one not two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight songs that are over five minutes long on one album. This is a band that had been never been known for their fast tempos. It's not like you know Pearl Jam, who just throws out like a straight-ahead, you know, like you know ultra-fast rocker on every one of their records to open it up. <clears throat> you know, Oasis never kind of got above a mid-tempo jam in, in any of their speeds. But when you have like eleven of them in a row and they all go on forever. God, it gets hairy. I think that there are good songs on this album. I really like, as I said, Stand By Me. Sing me something
3: near, bouncing out.
1: The girl on the dirty shirt
0: I like all these songs For
1: three and a half minutes
0: <laughs> um, And then I have a problem with them I'm not going to be The one to defend it either I, I think there are a couple of I, I think uh, You know what I mean The uh, first track on the album Is a pretty hooky chorus It's not bad Works all right um, the rest of the first half or so of the album, I think, is pretty disposable. Um, Girl in the Dirty Shirt uh, picks back up again. That, that, that's a decent song. It's a slide guitar in, in the chorus that I kind of like. Uh, Fade In and in Out is, 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 is not not good. Uh, Steven had talked about that one a bit. Uh, All Around the World is 9 minutes and 20 seconds, and you could <laughs> chop that in half and you'd still be okay. But I, I do think that's one of the, the better uh, songs on the, uh, on the album. It's an old one, I think it was written even before uh, Definitely Maybe uh, was released. But uh, for the most part, it, it's like there's 25% too much of everything. It's 25% too long, it's 25% too loud, it's 25% too many guitars, 25% too many strings. Just, just dial it back a bit, and I, I, it, maybe it works a little bit better. I think There are some, some things that are salvageable here, but man, oh man, it's, 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 a, it's kind of a mess to listen to straight through. Yeah, it was kind
2: of their go big or go home album. And I think that they were just like, well, if, if we're going to have our moment, especially in the States, and if that moment's going to be gone, let's just go all out and do it. It was kind of just like this epically, you know, killer, killer moment in the States kind of thing. Because, I mean, what's interesting is they really – I mean, it really was. They When, when Be Here Now came out and everyone listened, that was the end of it. It really just died that fast for them. Um, but, I mean, again, you – they it, they kept they were able to kind of keep a reputation uh overseas in the uk um it, and really i mean over here is when be here now happened that was like they became a complete tabloid band you could kind of see it fall apart in front of their face where you know liam's out there dating patsy kensett who um was a famous actress model there and they really kind of gave into that lifestyle mm-hmm. um and there's, there's actually this, like, really, really hilarious thing. Um, kind of talk about, like Jeff said about social media earlier, is, is Noel and Liam Gallagher pretty social media savvy guys right now. And um, there's this Wikipedia entry. It's just so hilarious. It's like Noel went in and added his own little note to his Wikipedia. Um, so I'll just overread I'll that. I, I, um, I, I kind of took a note on this. So it's basically this paragraph was kind of about um, – just where it peaked for them fame wise and drug wise and it says the success of Oasis and his newfound fame and fortune were not lost on Gallagher both he and his brother became famous on their rock and roll lifestyle they drank heavily abused drugs fought fans critics peers and each other and made celebrity friends such as Ian Brown Paul Weller Mick Jagger. <laughs> Gash, da, 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 da. Gallagher spent extravagantly buying various cars and a swimming pool despite the fact he can neither drive nor swim he <laughs> named his house he named his house bell size park in London supernova heights after the champagne supernova And he named his two cats Benson and Hedges after his favorite brand of cigarettes. So that's the Wikipedia entry. Here's the graph after the Wikipedia entry. He's afraid this is true. He's also afraid that he was very high during the 90s and drunk most of the time. He can only tell you that this was a brilliant time in his life. And he was naming everything and everything. Naming cats after cigarettes, though one of his finer moments, he must say
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm reading it right now. And then it's footnoted too. That's the best part.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Like if you read his whole, his whole Wikipedia, especially around like the be here now era is just like footnoted like that. So he clearly went in and added these and people didn't go in and take them out. Um, and that's a good, if you want to know the definitive history of be here now, just read Noel Gallagher's Wikipedia entry.
0: (laughs) Oh man, that's great. Uh, Political beats: Scott Bertram, Jeff Blair, Stephen Miller with us this week at Red Steez on Twitter. Opinion columnist for foxnews.com, co-host of the uh, Conservatarians podcast with John Gabriel. And uh, you can, of course, subscribe to us, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, tune in. nationalreview.com is where to find it. Uh, after uh, Be Here Now, uh, they get down to a trio as they go to record their next album, Standing on the Shoulder of Giants and uh, it's a bit of a departure from previous sounds um, This also was not received very well, although I think Jeff is going to offer a a a defense of this momentarily this is you know there's there's drum loops and and, and samples and um from the from the first song which uh you know blanking in the bushes and i' bleat myself um you can you can hear the differences in 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 the style that are going to come on standing on the shoulder of giants. Um, I I don't know if it works all that well. W- where they were so kind of energetic and and propulsive and, on previous albums, it's this album sounds like they're chained to that drum loop, and it changes the way some of the songs unfold. It's it's darker, uh, you know. It's a darker album. I don't know if it would fit right in with the the grunge stuff they were. I don't want to say rebelling against, but kind of uh, counterweighting. In the '90s. That said, I, I think there's some decent songs here. Um, Go let it out. The, the the single, first single from the album, is uh, is again chained to that drum loop, but is uh, kind of a nice slice of uh, uh, psychedelic type music. Put your money where your mouth is. Um, it's dirty deeds done dirt cheap, and married to roadhouse blues. It's, 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 it's put your hands upon the wheel. Yeah, that's, a
2: good, that's a good description. Yeah, yeah that's, I'm impressed. It's
0: got that dirty deeds kind of chord progression, and so if you like those two songs, smash them together. Put your money where your mouth is, and that works pretty well on that uh, on that level. I like Gas Panic pretty well. Um, I can see A Liar Late is one where they kind of get off the drum loop chain. It sounds a little more like Oasis from the past few albums. So this is like I, it's middling. I, I don't think what they were trying to do worked all that well and get through some seeds of, of, of successful songs I think, through the album.
1: Everybody hates this album, including uh, Noel Gallagher. He actually says, "Like I never should have released this. I would just been trying to clean up my act in terms of
2: drugs. Probably, I presume he's referring to cocaine." It, there. It, it was. His, it was his first album on his own label, too. Like the, right. when they did "Be Here Now," that they were off their album, they were off their label. They kind of creation they, they died, and so their, they had to do, right. yeah, they had to do right. the thing. Uh, so I, this was Noel. This was Noel's
1: Everybody hates this album except me, it seems. I kind of like the psychedelia turn. I mean, it, 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 it's very much a Beatles thing to do, like, oh, here's our psychedelic album, you know? And, you know, I think Gallagher says, like, ah, you know, I was just sitting around the house and I bought a bunch of effects pedals, you know? He kind of downplays <laughs> it like that. But I thought it was a very self conscious attempt to do something uh, a little different from what Oasis had done before. You know, they'd done the rockers, they'd done the, like, you know, the kind of tasteful ballads with strings and all that. And here he is doing a song like, like Who Feels Love or uh, Gas Panic, which is straight-up, trippy, psychedelic anthems I really like them, and I guess I don't understand why this album is supposed to be hated. Uh, Put Your Money With Where Your Mouth Is is another one that I think is like a very dreamy and uncharacteristic Oasis song. And uh, Where Did It All Go Wrong? I think it's a great single, and it made me ask the question when I heard it the first time years ago. I was like, well, why doesn't Noel Gallagher sing more? I understand <laughs> Liam is the rock star and the lead singer, but Noel Gallagher has a really good voice.
0: Well, he tried really to. Can. If I if I remember, I mean, he tried to, but Liam threatened to quit because he, you know, well, there you go. I'm, then there you go. I'm that the singer, and you can't, you know. Yep. Wouldn't yeah? Wouldn't want that to happen, right?
1: <laughs> but I, I really like Noel Gallagher's voice. I think he does a fantastic job with these songs. And you'll notice he starts singing a lot more in the later eras yes, yeah. of Oasis as. The band actually start bringing their own compositions. I think this is the last album where Noel Galga wrote everything on it. And at this point, he starts saying, like, listen, you guys, you got to help me out. I I'm, I'm, yeah, I can't write all this stuff every year, every two years. I need, I need some contributions. And the band actually, I think, admirably rise to the occasion on a lot of those later songs. But um, I really liked hearing his voice on Where Did It All Go Wrong. I, I think Sunday Morning Call is also a good song. I think that this is probably their – maybe I would say it's either this or um, – uh, dig for your soul that are uh, their most underrated row albums. I really think that there's a, a lot of merit here, and I know everyone's supposed to hate it, but I don't.
2: I don't, I anyone who's ever told me they don't like this album can't tell me why they say it just because it's Oasis. I think a lot of the stigmatism came, it's just from Be Here Now again. It's like, oh, I can't give it, you know. Um, I'm with you, Jeff. I, I love this album. I am, I, I, this is, I came back to them. I was, I was leery about it when I came back to them in 2000. I was like, uh, eh. um, and I, I think, like Scott said, about how dark it is. I think this is kind of their Octune Baby album. Hmm. Hmm. Um, and I, I agree with that, too. But, I mean, you have Bushes just starts off, like, punches you in the face. And you keep waiting for these vocals, and it never comes. It, um, it has that kind of that intro. And then it just keeps going. And you're like, wow, so Oasis doesn't feel like they're packing it in here. This doesn't feel like they're humble, but like we're going to be humble album after our you know we blew our careers to outer space um go let it out again like what you talk about with the drum loops and the psychedelia i i love that um that they kind of went into that Um, who feels love i think is liam gallagher one of liam gallagher's best vocal performances yes. um like like you just that full-on attitude and that snarl is there um but it's changed because again this is where liam went into his john lennon cocoon where everything is love um <laughs> and he never really came out of it like everything is you know love love is love want to be love. who feels love um <laughs> and uh and that that was kind of a transformation from kind of the Liam Gallagher of just in-your-face attitude and stuff like that. And I was like, I actually like this Liam Gallagher. I like how he's, you know, just said, I'm just going to embrace the John Lennon thing. I don't care. Um, Little James is a clear just ripoff of hey jude like even if you put the lyrics side by side it's just kind of like all right but at least he's writing it from a point that's where he just had a kid with uh Ken said, i think and it was james and it's, i want to write the lip the hey jude song um sunday morning call is probably my favorite song off the album again because it's you're right about how noel pops in there and you're like oh wow okay um but yeah i don't i don't really get the hate with this album other than i think it's like poser hate. I think it's attitude hate of us oh, it's Oasis and they're just doing their thing again. Um it was what was really interesting, of course, uh Bush's was on the Snatch soundtrack that was it was really heavily featured in the uh boxing match in Snatch with Brad Pitt. Oh, like, and hmm. even I had and even I had friends who were like, Well, that was awesome. Like and I was like, Yeah, that was Oasis. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and, and that's when like, they were oh, like, Oh no, I'm
2: filthy, <laughs> oh I'm dirty, oh I can't like oh,
1: and, yeah, it's great, um, and this album is is I think uh, five times more interesting than the next album, which people said, you know, whoa, th- this is Oasis returning to form. That's Heathen Chemistry. I don't think Heathen Chemistry is a terrible album, but I would say it is Oasis's least interesting record to me. I like the Hindi Times. Um, I like Songbird, which yes. is a Liam Gallagher song. It was really good, actually. Um, but I think so much of this album is sort of like them trying to be a little too self-conscious about getting away from the fancy trickery and like, oh yeah, we're just rocking out again, and kind of makes
2: it a little more boring than it might have been otherwise. I, I yeah, really, if he,
1: if he,
2: uh, healing chemistry is—it's um, one of these that I come back to, and I'm like, oh, I really love this, and then about seven songs and I kind of it wears on me a little bit um, mm-hmm. but the Hindu Times is is one of my favorite songs by them because it's, it feels like they what you talked about embracing that psychedelic this one actually feels like they like they put their own spin on it and that has a lot to do with bringing Andy Bell in mm-hmm. um, when they brought Andy Bell in from Ride and I think that this you know catapults you into Oasis's later stuff um, there's a lot of stuff where you can feel Noel taking the back seat a little bit Um, with these really just straightforward guitar riffs that Noel's good at to a lot more arrangement stuff. That's way more prevalent on Don't Believe the Truth, but this is you start to see Andy Bell's influence on this album, Um, and I think a lot of like Hindu Times, Force of Nature, you see that. Um, I also think like if you put Heathen Chemistry side by side to Morning Glory, like what Jeff said, that this was the album they were trying most to match up to to Morning Glory. Like, you Stop Crying Your Heart Out is... um, it's basically, um, it's basically. Don't look back in look anger. Back in We're anger. just trying to capture that same kind of thing. Um, Songbird is Liam Gallagher's. I'm going you know, if you've seen the video to Songbird, it couldn't be more blatant. Like it's Liam Gallagher walking with the guitar and then sitting by a tree, like, hey, I can play a guitar too now. See, <laughs> um, her song on the album is "She Is Love" by Noel Gallagher. She is Love was almost going to be one of my top five songs. And I was kind of whittling down just because it is such a mature, kind of soul bearing song again, where it's just one of those, you know, foot tapping, you know, kind of three guys sitting around in a room playing the guitar. And it's one of these songs you could just picture these guys hitting a tambourine to.
3: All I know is I'm in love with someone who loves me too. She is Love. Love, and her ways are high and steep. She is love, and I believe I do believe her when she speaks.
2: Heathen chemistry is a little bit of a mess, but it's there's so much to like there. Where they kind of, um, Hindu Times is another one where Liam Gallagher is just in full throated, you know, rock mode and, you know, uh yeah, I, I I don't I kind of I'm I think I liked it more than you like it Jeff. I think I like it more than uh Standing on the Shoulders mm-hmm. of Giants, but I don't really disagree with some of, you know, your your critiques on it.
0: And I would take Standing on the Shoulders of Giants uh any day over over this uh album. I Boy, I don't know, if, you know, this is the first album where everyone is contributing to the songwriting. And that's even that's it's not just Gallagher, that's everyone in the band gets a chance to write something on the album. I don't know if they're still trying to quite figure out how that is going to work uh, with everyone contributing and and how things will flow. Uh, I think they want to rock uh, like they did in Morning Glory, as as, as, uh, Stephen pointed out, but there's no real grit to it. There's no kick behind it. And uh, there's a a few songs. Hindu Times, the lead single, is is worth it. Force of Nature is this just plodding, chunky stomp of a song that works out pretty well. And uh, Jeff mentioned Songbird, which is I think a highlight here for sure. It's just a sweet, sparse uh, Liam song uh, that that, uh, that works very well, and I don't I, really I don't mind the Oasis lyrics um, much at all, but I I think this is probably where they where they are the least uh, valuable to the conversation. They're, uh, they're at their silliest. Yes, yes, that. Thank you for the help. They're just <clears throat> at their silliest. Hindu times. I, I got so high I can't feel it. Uh, Force of nature's uh, chorus. I think is smoking all my stash, burning all my cash. Um, so. <laughs> Generally, with a band like oasis, i 'm not paying too much attention to the lyrics, but if you can 't give me the songs then i 'm going to look at the lyrics and i 'm probably not going to be happy about it and I think that that happens on on this one too i I would take standing on the shoulder of giants uh, above heathen chemistry on my list of oasis albums and uh,
2: yeah the one and the one that i mean we didn 't mention I actually put into my five is little by little, um, which i 'll go into more that 's kind of one that we that we just kind of jumped over, but mm-hmm. I think little by little is. It, that's like a good noel gallagher looking back at his career with his you know his brother and his stuff like that and you hear that in the choruses but i go i'll go into a little by little a little bit more uh, when we get to that so after that's probably going to be the one to raise your eyebrows a little bit that's one of their <laughs> five key songs to you but i have a very important reason for putting it in there
0: uh after even chemistry two more albums in oasis's catalog and uh, I think the popular opinion is is these are, are are more returned to form than than Heathen Chemistry was. Don't believe the truth uh, continues with with the whole band contributing only five Noel Gallagher songs on on Don't believe the truth. It's it's um, I think it's it's better than Heathen Chemistry. I think it's it sort of sets the table for Dig out your soul, which uh, is quite underrated. Uh, I think when you dig into it but don't believe the truth there are some interesting things one of my favorite I think this is going to make my five is a song called and I had tweeted this uh, earlier in the week saying man digging into the Oasis catalog deep there's some neat stuff the importance of being idle yes
1: um, I was going to say it too No, yeah. no, no that, Gallagher that, was, track. that was the
2: critic darling song off this album yeah That's man one, like every all the critics kind of went flipped over
0: that is such a nice song it is such a fun little song uh Kink's influence uh, here yeah, su- Oasis
1: doing sunny afternoon sunny really. afternoon
0: absolutely but the importance of being idle I think is the standout track on on don't believe the truth I- I think the band sounds better uh, on Don't Believe the Truth. They're a little more confident, more muscular than they had been in the past two albums. Uh, Turn Up the Sun the first track is this swirling churning track that I, I like quite a bit. I, I keep, I was, you know, write notes when I listened back. I, I keep, kept writing insistent beat, insistent beat. There's a lot driven by drums and rhythm on Don't Believe the Truth with uh, uh, Mucky Fingers and uh, Meaning of Soul and I think Lila. They all have these very insistent drum rhythm beats uh through them that it works well one other song i wanted to mention is guess god thinks i'm able which is pretty hooky and memorable and it unlike some other oasis songs which bury that melody behind this wall of guitars and 32 tracks of orchestra uh this one sticks that melody right in front and you're able to appreciate it i think guess god thinks i'm able is also a a a really good track on don't believe the truth this one uh I think, is is their best in quite a while, digging back through their catalog, but uh, not as good as what what would come next.
1: I think it's really interesting how Oasis went from being a band that was entirely dominated by Noel Gallagher's songwriting to being a band that was actually a real collaborative effort in terms of the songs. Uh, but in a good way.
2: Thank, th- thank you, Andy Bell, for that one. Yeah,
1: yeah um, but I mean, it, it's funny. Like, we did Creedence Clearwater Revival a couple of episodes ago. Right. And, of course, you know, the, <laughs> the members of the band were all, like, demanding more input to, uh, you know, John Fogarty being a tyrant. And then he, Fogarty then turned around and said, All right, well, not only now do you have more input, you have to write a third of the songs on the album. And it resulted in one of the worst pieces of awful that's ever been released on vinyl, which is called um, Mardi Gras, their last album. It's terrible. Yep. Um, Who would have thought that every member of Oasis actually is capable of coming up with some damn fine music andy bell on uh turn up the sun i love that song i love the introduction to that song it's this very kind of ghostly chiming sort of an intro uh, and then it turns into a more straight ahead rock anthem but it's really good liam you know everybody says oh liam's a no talent you know he's just the lead singer liam starts coming up with solid solid songs on every one of these late period oasis albums even uh jem archer yeah. uh, Probably uh, the least in terms of like you know the songwriting contributions yeah. from the band. You get some some good stuff there. I, I don't. I think "Love Like a Bomb" is my least favorite song on the album, but I really like "A Bell Will Ring," and I really like some of the stuff that he brings to the other albums as well. I just think it's fascinating that. You know, after all this time of Noel being the only voice in a songwriting sense that was heard uh, from Oasis, uh, that it turned out that everybody else in the band was uh, really capable of contributing something as well. I guess part of that has to do with the fact that they replaced their earlier members of the band and, and brought in these new guys. But but the guys they brought in were no no slouches in that respect. And so I, 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 that's why I I like Don't Believe the Truth. Um, I don't like it nearly as much as the next one, but I, I think. I, uh,
2: were you go ahead? Sorry. No, no, no. no I thought to- you- I thought you were gonna jump right in to dig out your soul. Cause you no, I'm not. Really I'm, not gonna, I'm, that. I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna like- do that. I don't
1: like it as, I don't <laughs> like it as much as don't uh, as dig out your soul, but uh, I think it, it's pretty solid. It's certainly far more interesting as an album than Heathen Chemistry. And I'd say my favorite songs on this one, as you know, as Scott already identified the importance of being idle. I also like Lila. I think Lila's that's lead was the lead single off of this album. Uh, kind of written at the last second, if I recall. Like they they you know, they submitted the album to the label and this the, the the eternal words that you always hear is we don't hear a single on this record. So they had to go run back into the studio and, and, and record Lila. Um but it's a damn good song and I think that this is a, a fairly underrated record. I think all of Oasis's late period albums don't get the kind of credit that they deserve.
2: Um I enjoy this one quite a bit. Yeah, the thing I told Jeff, uh, kind of preparing for this, is I think I I would put Oasis's last three albums against their first three, and I think that their their last three are infinitely deeper, richer than their first three. And I think that this is... uh, Don't Believe the Truth is actually my second key album. Um, And I think that this is the richest, like the most layered album that they have, and I think that that's all basically Andy Bell. I think this is the first album where I... Who comes in? You, you can kind of feel them where they come into the studio space, and Noel's like kind of like, all right, let's see what you got. And Andy Bell just blows Noel away. He's just like, and Noel wisely, I think, takes a step back and he's like all right this guy's better than me. <laughs> he's just a better <laughs> all all around guitarist than I am. And so I think Noel basically says, you know, let's Andy Bell run with some of the stuff. Like you said on Turn Up the Sun is a perfect example of just this real rich deep kind of sound and then Noel's in there, he has the guitar in there. But you you've, there's there's such there's again there's so many layers to a song like Turn Up the Sun that it just that a intro you've games. never heard of that on a pre, on any right. yeah right and you're right about the drums the drums on this on this album are are, are in there too and so yep. i think that that's the influence of bringing in those new members noel realizing wow I, I think bell's a better guitarist than i am i'm gonna i'm gonna wisely just kind of back back him up on some of the stuff and andy bell putting in his influence um mucky fingers is another one and, and i know like a lot of this stuff a lot especially god what is it um part of the queue is basically a straight rip of the Strangler's Golden Brown Um, and you know Mucky Fingers is kind of a Velvet Underground song and Lila is like the Rolling Stones so they ran into kind of those criticisms but um, I'm an unabashed Lila fan I think that song is just so good it's just so loud and banging and in your face and Liam is kind of in back full you know confident in you know nodding and chewing and strutting form on Lila where all the critics flipped over, They're like oh this is finally oasis back here like, like that um, how charming they are with this session. right <laughs> right and, um, but even like uh keep the dream alive a bell mm-hmm. ring and then of course you have you have it ends with liam's john Lennon, let there be love 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 is everywhere we want love kind of thing um but it's by far i think their deepest richest album and it's their, i think it's by that it's almost their most fascinating because it just doesn't sound it You jump from definitely maybe straight to Don't Believe the Truth other than the the obvious things of the singer. You almost have two completely different bands. And I I just think that era of Oasis, the kind of winding down era of uh, Don't Believe the Truth and Dig Out Your Soul is just infinitely more – more interesting yeah. if you're an audiophile and if you're into music then you know going back to the earlier stuff of what's a story morning glory and definitely maybe um don't don't believe the truth is the one where i think people who dropped off of them this is the one i think they regret missing the most
0: and just quickly part of the cue you mentioned that i mean that sounds if you play that for someone i don't think you give them 100 guesses they'd say it's oasis it doesn't really sound at all like what you think oasis would sound like yeah and that's that's uh yeah. i think there's and, a and lot of that in both the of these final two albums especially yeah yeah so and that's
2: again and that and that comes down to, that's just credit i think to noel getting older and just being like i don't have to control all this and i also think that you get the sense that noel knows this is ending <laughs> as much as like <laughs> um they did they did tour on these albums and stuff like that um and and that goes back I mean I've seen these I've, I've seen Oasis three times and I've seen them at all points um, in their careers and I saw them winding down with this album and um, I was far more interested in this than I was when they were kind of in their um, and they obviously had the live album familiar million stage where it was kind of like we're still here um, don't I think just don't believe the truth is just a great confident album I think that that's the way to put it they're like oh, we're old, we don't care anymore <laughs> and we're just going to put out what we want
1: I mean that of course takes us to Oasis's last album. I don't know if it was intended at the time to be the last album, although maybe the writing was on the wall in terms of the relationship between Noah and Liam. But man, I have a lot of praise for Oasis's final record. Uh Dig Out Your Soul. <clears throat> what a fantastic way. If you're gonna go out, then this is the way to go out. This is a fascinating record all sorts of great stuff on it the turning i think is one of my mm-hmm. all-time favorite oasis songs um the shock of the lightning um is also another great noel gallagher number and i will say this right now liam gallagher again you know people always dismiss him as sort of the yabo member of the band i'm out of time yes it is not only the best song that he ever wrote and that he ever brought to the band it's also i think one of oasis you know certainly their top 10 best songs
3: I love yeah, that he really,
2: song. He tries to be melodic on it, and he and he mostly pulls it off. But yeah, he it's, it's one it. of the. I mean, um, it's it's, it's one of it's one of the only it's one of the songs Where he's not again doing the, the snarl and just the shouting into the mic. It's <laughs> yeah, it's it's, actually it's
1: actually him and his John Lennon jealous guy kind of a mode, right? He's totally right. like doing that. You know, I'm I'm playing Imagine, I'm playing Oh My Soul, one of these things. Um, but yeah, it's a beautiful song. This is an album that's just got lots of really interesting things going on in the grooves. There's a song called. Uh, like get off your high horse um mm-hmm. which is this sort of almost blur like sort of a little funky english sort of a tune i really love that
2: i think the only thing that i i don't get up get out... off your high horse lady oh yeah, lady sure. lady <laughs> there, there's, there's yeah there's, there's, they, there's... they go full they go full patriarchy on that one exactly
1: there's one song literally on this album that i don't like which is i think waiting for the rapture which is just a stupid clunky thunker of you know like ah oh, you know these chunky
2: guitar chords it, it does it's, absolutely it sounds nothing like the doors it. sounds like the doors five to one or whatever oh um, yes you're yeah. Right. yeah 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 it's it's exactly it's exactly done 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 it's just like all right again it's it kind it, of doing their mucky
1: fingers thing right but you know there's 11 songs there's exactly one that brings nothing to the table all of the rest of them are really good I'm just very impressed with Dig Out Your Soul. And, of course, nobody who was familiar with Oasis just through, like, their 90s hits, you know, definitely, maybe, and, you know, what's the story, and all that, has any idea this album exists. And it's a shame, because it's, I think, it definitely deserves to be seen in the continuum with those albums. It is on that level. It's just like you said, Steve, you know, it's a really interesting comparison to put Oasis' last three albums up against their first 3. I'd say you know their first 3 probably are still better on the margins, but Dig Out Your Soul is hugely underrated. Their most underrated album.
2: It, it was I mean it was here it was underrated, but it was it was a kind of a hit in uh in, in Britain. It debuted at number 5 on Billboard. Um it was it, it it was the highest selling album for them since or as far as like, the highest chart position for them at number 5 since Be Here Now, which I think was at number 2 when it debuted and it fell off faster. Um it, I mean, dig out your soul was, I think, the fast the, the, up in the top two, three fastest selling albums of 2008. Yeah, but okay, you know what? UK I, I looked into that, and I was looking at this, and by the and talk everyone... about a, tell, a telling factoid about the state of the music. Oh in yes.
1: yeah. In 2008, versus <laughs> yeah. 1995, uh, in like 1995 uh, or 1996, when Be Here Now comes out, I think it sold like 250,000 copies in its first right. week. You know, and that would that made it like that, you know, the best of the. That year. was then, great. That was great, and then. Uh, Dig Out Your Soul in 2009 sold 90,000 copies, and that was number one, which just goes <laughs> to show you how precipitously the entire music industry had been collapsing in upon itself with the advent of, of file sharing and the internet and things like that. It, it was getting much and much, much more easy to, uh, you know, top the charts and to uh, set these sort of, you know, like. Little post up
2: records uh, when you uh, have such a smaller market to work with. But yeah, yeah it, was it was a hit.
1: It deserved
2: it. It's a it, it, was, one. it was, yeah, it was the album that I think Noel Gallagher said, let's just make this for us kind of thing. Um, there is there isn't like really, I mean, I, I'm out of time is probably the single on the album, and there really isn't like any other big singles up that Bag It Up I think could be a good one. Um, the Turning but i think that this was kind of the album that noel said we're, we're going to make this for us and it can, i mean you're right when it comes out for people who really like to dig into uh the layers of an album i think it really is um underrated but um yeah it, i, mean, I want to hear scott's thing scott was banging the drum on this yes, one pretty hard i like
0: this i i i, I don't think the second half it didn't have quite enough mojo to to get through the second half of the album but the first half really stands up well and you know the the Owen Morris production that Oasis sound the first two three albums it, it is completely gone by this point and if you if you kind of well I was going to say close your eyes and squint but I what close your ears and squint um, it, it almost sounds like a like a no frills almost roots rock kind of band on Dig Out Your Soul with a little psychedelic in there as well and, and and the front half of the album is so good. I, I agree, I think Bag It Up would have been an awesome single to release off Dig Out Your Soul. It's got a great riff, especially through the chorus, and reminds you a bit of Columbia from Definitely Maybe too. It, it's just a really great song. So- I do too uh, Starts with this This drum beat And then the, the keys come in These cascading rhythms Throughout the That song It's a really good one Shock of the lightning What was the single From the album This one that They they wrote and recorded And they said basically It was a one-off It was a You know They, they recorded it And that was it um, Worked very quickly And I'm out of time Which both of you guys mentioned Very Very John Lennon 70s solo sound to it um, I don't know I, I think I like Songbird a bit better You know In the canon of Liam Gallagher tracks But mm-hmm. Uh but uh, but that that's a really, really good one. I like Ain't Got Nothing as well. But the first half of this album is so solid. And I, I don't mean to demean the second half, but I, I don't think it's quite as good to kind of lift it to a classic level. But, you know, if, if you if you didn't like the production from the first three albums, Don't Believe the Truth and Dig Out Your Soul gives you a completely different point of view, uh, a completely different way to look at Oasis through these last few albums. And Noel was Noel was still kicking out Great riffs and and great guitar work, uh through the entire length of the career of the band, and that does not stop at all on "Dig Out Your Soul." And I think Liam's vocals are very good throughout the album as well. It's you know he, he sounds well. It's 15 years later. He doesn't sound like he sounded as a young young man, but he. I think he's a little well, certainly more experienced. But I think the vocals just uh, are are excellent throughout "Dig Out Your Soul." And and it's it's a different band from from what they were 15 years prior, uh, but you can still hear what made them great and dig out your soul again. Especially the first half is well worth uh, at least a listen for anyone who has not. And I would imagine that's a lot of people that's uh, <laughs> not kind of gotten through the the record.
1: No, and of course this is the moment where um, Oasis suddenly, spontaneously, precipitously collapses. Uh, And it kind of brings us to one of the elephants in the room that amazingly we really haven't discussed. And maybe it's a good way to sort of wrap up our discussion of Oasis as a band and kind of as a phenomenon in general. So what happens? Uh, They're going out. they're, they're, They're touring Dig Out Your Soul. Um, they go to play. Uh, you know, they're doing the summer festival circuit in Europe, and they're going to be playing some, I think, festival in Paris. And Liam suddenly says, "No, I, I can't do it. I can't go on stage. Can't sing. I got laryngitis." Now, did he have laryngitis, or was he out drinking too much the night before? Who knows? Maybe he was throwing a temper tantrum. Anyways, Liam and Noel get into a fight. I believe, if you believe Noel's Noel's version of it, uh, Liam threw a plum at him. <laughs> uh, pelted him with fruit, uh, which is uh, the moment at which Noel said, that's it. I've had enough of this nonsense. I quit. I'm done. And they literally ceased to exist two minutes before they were supposed to go on stage for a gig. Mm-hmm. And that was the end of Oasis as suddenly, um, even though like you know, Noel had threatened to quit 15 times over throughout the band's career, this was it. This was the end. This was the split. They suddenly ended it all. Uh, with nothing even so much as a fair you well. Uh, and, of course, they have been arguing. Liam and Noel have been sniping at one another uh, in the press. and They really don't like media. each other. At least, uh,
0: I mean, they really don't like each other. <laughs> no. It,
1: which, which brings us to the it's, question of the, the Liam Gallagher-Noel Gallagher feud. Their relationship as brothers. Is this the most entertaining sibling rivalry in the history of rock music? And why... Is it? Because I I think it is because, A, the feelings are just clearly so real, but also because they're both just so funny as people. They're deeply entertaining people, both of them. I think it was Steven who said to me that, like, Liam Gallagher needs a podcast
2: now. (laughs) I want (laughs) to listen to the podcast. Yeah, Yeah, I mean this is the thing about them is – and there's no sides. that You don't have – fans who are like i love i'm on team noel and you don't have i'm on team liam in this age but yeah it is really funny to kind of watch i'm on team noel i just want to see them fight yeah <laughs> right you you do have you, you do kind of see liam using twitter to kind of subtweet his brother every day kind of thing um and liam right now you even see it with they both released albums and you would think like there would have been this huge thing in british press about um Liam Gallagher's first solo album coming out and then of course Noel Gallagher uh, and his High Flying Birds their album coming out and there really isn't much of that I think what Jeff kind of said is the press loves to just see these two go at it but I think like they have so they have their roots are so tightly entwined in their community especially in manchester and things like that the people are just like yeah leave, leave them alone and let it get and i also think they think they're going to get back together and <laughs> i don't know i think a few years like, liam's really pounding the drum right now to get back together and tour because he basically said there's a lot of money to be made and he's right i also think I think, he's <laughs> yeah, right, <no. laughs> See, I think i think what's i think what's really interesting is especially in this day and age, and yeah, Liam. If you see Liam Gallagher's like clips on where Jeff kind of imitate him, where he talks about making tea, like, and you hear, hear this guy, this is a guy. I mean, even though you might not understand half of what he's saying, he is so quotable and would be so good on a podcast. If you just if Liam Gallagher reads the newspaper kind of thing, you know, it just like, would makes just comments be an amazing podcast. <laughs> right. Um, this was a band who really missed you. you we really talk, you know, we talk about political beats. This was like, oasis was the first kind of donald trump troll band they they did everything that was very much trumpian um noel gallagher received a uh most overrated guitar player award in 1999 from his peers who voted i think it was an me or one of these things mm-hmm. and he basically said this is my favorite award i've ever gotten like he loved it um just <laughs> <up> <laughs> you know this this was a band who i mean they were kind of a social media style band way before any social media came around and you see that how they both kind of use them the press now to kind of get their stuff out there they were kind of the first trolls and the last rock and roll stars and then i mean oasis will never be a critics band um critics like hate this band but when you go back and you read some of the reviews they're just brutal even on you know even on their stuff where clearly the reviewers are. Hating on standing on control of those giants because just because they hate Oasis. They're like, I hate these Ponces now. Um, but Oasis knows that. Um yeah. Oasis is a people's band. Critics hating Oasis only makes their fans and the people love them more. I was that sounds pretty familiar politically. Yeah. I and mean, that's kind of the that's that's the dynamic of how they were able to kind of beat Blur and battle over Britain. Is the critics all loved Blur. But the people all loved Oasis, and again, the elitists love Blur. And the people, the people went with Oasis. There are um, more people than there are elitists. Is always a room. right? And that's and that's kind of that's that was Oasis's strength. Again, is they like, when the when the people sing "Don't Look Back in Anger" after a terror attack, and it's even funny to read like Liam Gallagher's quotes about that attack. Like he's he's full. Uh, you you could read it in Donald Trump's voice, and that's who he would be. <laughs> like he's just talking about like I don't want to. G- You know, I don't want to, you should look back in anger. People are getting their heads cut off at concerts, man. What are you doing? That's basically what he said. (laughs) And so they really did to miss their political moment. Um, they were, they really were a musical precursor to what Donald Trump is in politics. Um, they, they, they are the People's Band, and um, they really did miss their moment. I think they're going to get it. I think they are going to reunite in a in a couple of years. But it's how many
1: time. shows can they last before Liam assaults Noel on stage? Just take the plays
2: away, think... right, right, right. But that's what also people want to see. They want to yeah. see again. It's like Van Halen. They just want they want that kind of David Lee Roth <laughs> reunion moment, and then of course two shows in. I'm out. I'm done.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I was looking back at some of the reviews, and, and uh, even critics hated them. Um, Masterplan, uh, uh, Pitchfork had given it a 3.7 on the 10-point scale. Um, I, I mean, that's what? just nonsensical. Uh, maybe you hate the oh, band. Well, that's I'm not sure How? Clear. Yeah, And in terms of, you know, Jeff's question about brothers, man, we just did CCR, which had a pretty darn good sibling rivalry. Did the Kinks, had a pretty darn good sibling rivalry. Uh, and one I hope we do soon is, uh, uh, is uh, the Black, Black Rose Black Crows. And uh, man, if you, uh, I mean, this is the third week in a row Stephen Hyden gets a mention on the podcast. But his Celebration Rock podcast, uh, he had Steve Gorman on, the fabulous drummer of the Black Crows uh, a couple months ago, and Steve told the whole story about how much those guys really hated each other, how unhappy they were twenty-four-seven when they were around each other, how after their dad died, they basically said, Well, the only reason for us to even talk is gone, so that's it. Um they're sniping back and forth in the press now. Rich Robinson Uh, I won't get too deep into it because, again, we hopefully do it soon. But save it for the show. Right? right, Rich Robinson has a new band called the Magpie Salute. They do a lot of Black Crowes covers, and Chris was was yelling at him all year in the press, saying, "Yeah, my brother's in a cover band. They're just doing a Black Crowes cover, and you know, whatever. And we're doing new stuff." And about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, Chris, just this big thing where, yeah, we're going to do Black Crow songs at a big festival show. And so Rich shot back at him and said, at least I have Mark Ford. And so that's a really fun one, too. uh, Liam Gallagher
1: took the band with him, too, by the way. That's the thing. in the Noel Liam wars. You know, Liam got the Oasis members to go Uh with him for his stuff.
0: (laughs) So there we are.
1: There is, there is, uh, this is sort of way back in the early days, a, a famous sort of bootleg single that was released. Um, uh, it, it to the media and it, it became a viral sensation and a bootleg sensation called Wibbling Rivalry is the name of it. You can find it on YouTube in two parts. It is literally a about 15 minute long interview with a guy from NME, New Musical Express in 1994 uh, with Liam and Noel Gallagher um, and they're literally, it, it's great because like their, their accents are so hard to understand so there's a <laughs> transcript that you can view on the screen and they're just clapping all over one another. I mean, they're yelling at you. Like, Noel goes to the bathroom while Liam is talking and he's shouting from the bathroom. He's like, You're a phony! (laughs) That's not rock and roll! It's just an amazing display of the anger and the fighting that these two guys... Engaged in every single day of their lives and their careers, and you just kind of wonder, like you know, everybody's had some tough times with their brothers. You I know, mean, if you have a brother, I'm my brother and I, we fought a lot, <laughs> but you know, we still love each other. The hatred. Yeah. Even though it's, like it's it's not even a hatred, I almost think it's like a weird, sublimated love. like, like Liam keeps on tweeting out at Noel, because he, he wants them exactly to pay right attention to him,
2: you know, like they still care about each
1: other, but they just think that they're both jackasses.
2: Yeah, <laughs> so... you kind of I think you're absolutely right about that aspect of it. Like you kind of expect them to just start laughing right. right? Like they get to this point where they have no idea how long they've been fighting, and eventually they just laugh. They
1: don't even uh, remember each what other they're fighting about exactly. They're yeah. just like,
2: "Oh, let's have a beer." But you can also you can kind of see again how in Noel in some of these interviews, the way he just kind of jabs Liam. Um, there is there is a little bit of a you know he you know no he's still my kid, eh? um, but his you know Noel's attitude is just like life's too short for this stuff, and um, you know I'm not going to spend my time you know being miserable around him and stuff like that. Um, but they are getting older, and I think you're right. I think that there is a little bit of playfulness there, um, where they just, you know, if Liam if Liam throws a, a dig at Noel, Noel will appreciate it. Uh, there's a couple of those <laughs> where he kind of laughs about it, and so you see it there, and you're kind of like, eh, I don't, I don't think that this is a full on hatred as they they have played it up to be. I don't think it always has been. Yeah, I think that's um, what makes it fun to watch because you actually think that,
1: like, okay, you know what. You get these guys drunk enough and, and alone in a room together, and they'll fight. Yeah, and, but exactly. they actually still exactly. be like, "It's okay, brother. I, I don't well, mind that much. It doesn't feel like John and Tom Fogarty, man. They got seriously estranged. I
0: think Noel and, has even said that if he could do it all over again, he would not have left that show. Uh, they would have. I think they had two shows left on that on the tours, and he would have played right. that show. He would have done the next show. They all would have gone through separate rays, and then it would have been okay. So there's some uh, regret, I I suppose, that they couldn't just. Patch. I mean, how many times do they almost break up in the course I mean, of 15 Liam, years? Liam
1: is appealingly honest about it. Somebody asked him. He did a Reddit AMA. This is what I was thinking of earlier. And they said, like, you know, hey, how do you like being a solo artist? Do you prefer it to being a band? He was like, hell no. I, <laughs> I loved being in a band. I want to be in a band. That's what I always loved. It was what I always wanted to do and wanted to be. Is is a guy who's the lead singer of a rock and roll band. So, like, he has no regrets about Oasis and about any of that stuff, even though he obviously goes out of his way to, like, you know, call his brother a potato every time <laughs> he can find the chance on Twitter. Um, anyways, I mean, it's, it's, this is a really good way to end the show, which is just, you know, one of the most hilarious sibling rivalries between two of the most fascinating people, I would say, in, in all of, you know, the last 30, 20, 30 years of rock music. But I guess now we must go to our finale. And the traditional thing we do here, Stephen, is, and we'll go and we'll ask Stephen first as our guest, and then Scott, you'll go, and then I'll go to name your two
2: key albums and five key songs from Oasis. Uh, my two key albums are The Master Plan. Obviously, um, it's it's if you could go back in time, it's the album that should have been released over like Be Here Now. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it it really shows you the missed moment um, with this band. Um, you get kind of the stripped back tracks like Half a World Away Talk Tonight, um, and it, it, as well as some of their most energetic tracks, Acqu- Acquiesce, like you said, Listen Up, Rocking Chair, um, again, Take Off, Take Off Walrus Live, and um, I think it's the quintessential Oasis album. And my second key album is Don't Believe the Truth. Um, like I said, I, I'm much more into it, I think it's their most layered and, and sonically complete album. Um, It shows you like bringing in Andy Bell I think was the absolute right Decision for that band at the time I think it's Liam Gallagher's most mature album as a vocalist Um, Despite kind of again the blank Ripoffs of Velvet Underground and the Stones And the Stranglers on there um, It feels like it's like they're firing on all Cylinders for the first time at least since Morning Glory so that would be the album I'd give people Post Morning Glory and say right, this is This is why you should have kept listening to them
0: And the five songs
2: uh acquiesce of course. Um you you kind of su- summed it all up perfect. Is this the best thing, of course, the chorus is we believe in each other and need one another. And everyone right. thinks that that's a line about the brothers themselves is, again, kind of what we talked about, how they butt heads all the time. But still, musically, they need each other. The joke there is it has nothing to do with them. Um, Noel Gallagher even said, uh, you know, there's a line in there, sing my soul to sleep and take me back to bed. He goes, it's absolutely not about Noel. I've never shared a bed with him. And if I was looking for someone to take me to bed, it wouldn't be Liam. Um, I'm so intertwined about um of who they are as a band and um like you said that chorus where noel drifts out and Liam or liam drifts out and noel or liam drifts back in is just great arrangement um my second song is called it's it's a b-side uh definitely maybe called do you want to be a spaceman um and it's dear not do you or do you (laughs) want to it's do you want to be a spaceman and it's a B side, I definitely maybe. And it's kind of the perfect example of the kind of do- downtrodden blue collar origins of the band that we talked about. Um, it, it, you see a lot of yearning in this track about kind of not wanting to be where you are in life. And you, ca- it's again Noel just with an acoustic guitar, and you kind of um, you see how. Or I'm sorry, it's Liam's that is, is on it, but you see um, you see this how they're being honest about the relationship. It's almost like a brotherly, another brotherly song um and it's a really young song of theirs you, you almost think of like 18 year olds just like thinking we're going to end up just going to going to football games and smoking cigarettes our entire life and stuck in marriages with 50 kids and um we're not going to go anywhere and that's it's a good track to if you really want to get to the nuts of oasis's origins uh do, do you want to be a spaceman i think it's a perfect song for that uh my third one is whatever jeff talked about it a little bit um Despite the uh, the lawsuit, Neil Innes has a co-writing tr- uh, thing on this for a song he wrote called "How Does, How Sweet It Is to Be an Idiot," because the opening line is the same, where you know Noel sings, "I'm free to be whatever I," Neil Neil Innes' track goes, "How sweet to be an idiot," and basically because of that, or Neil Innes' s- uh, songwriting credit on this song, hmm. um, but it really is—it's kind of that the strings in it. there's the drums in there it's it's lyrically smart it's a it runs on again like five minutes but if you're a right-leaning kind of libertarian uh freakhead in politics out there it's a pretty good anthem again i'm I'm free to be whatever i want and i'll sing the blues if i want you know it's just a song about just doing whatever you want to do and leave me alone um pretty good anthem uh fourth one cast no shadow i think it's the most overlooked track on morning glory um like i said the frat dude bros were all out there waving their red cups in the air to underwall and i was kind of cast no shadow to myself um i think the standout of this track the reason why i think it's one of their you know five essential songs is this is one of the few songs where liam and noel sing at the same time where you have liam's vocals are up front and then noel is singing behind him and they it's not just kind of coming in and out like yes they are you hear noel's high pitchness behind kind of liam's snarl it's just this um, it's surprisingly really harmonious the way you hear Noel kind of come in in the background um I also think lyrically it's one of their best songs it's not just about like hey hey come on come on love love tonight man um there's there's some good depth to you know the story they're telling about who who you know cast no shadow is um and again this was another one like stop crying your heart out on healing chemistry if you put them side by side you're like oh okay uh, my fifth one's Little by Little off Healing Chemistry, um, and I think that this is kind of the perfect example of an older, wiser Noel Gallagher. If I were, if you wanted kind of the uh, good just one track to sum up their careers post Be Here Now, uh, just the cocaine fuel, you know, self-immolation of their band where Noel has lyrics on here where they kind of self-examine that. Um, and you hear this acoustic taking lead over distortion pedals, which you don't really hear a ton. You hear someone uh, go let it out. Um, and you almost hear the tambourine taking lead over the drums. Hmm. So you have this kind of weird dynamic going on with little, little by little where it's just kind of intimate, but then you have all of this stuff happening in the background. Um, you kind of get the, the, the staple Noel hook um, through it. So, that would be uh, that'd be the other one and also just in, in Oasis fashion I'm you know I'm just gonna answer no reason it's also just a really good tune man My, those are my five essential uh, oasis songs that aren't you know off of morning glory if you just wanted to you know rip it rip it at the karaoke bar with a bunch of people uh these these are the five that kind of i think explain their story the most mm-hmm. um from beginning to end
0: uh, so my two albums I uh, choose definitely maybe the debut I, I think it's uh, again just a notch above morning glory as far as I'm concerned the 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 wanting uh, the craving uh, to be a rock star to to, to get out of the, the situation they were in just permeates just about every one of those songs. I don't think we mentioned cigarettes and alcohol, which is uh, one of the singles and a great one with that just ripping off T Rex and the Bang a Gong riff. Um, but definitely, maybe is 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 one of my two for sure. And then I also think the Master Plan is is essential to understand what you know how good Noel Gallagher was. What Oasis was really pushing out at the time—the uh, the, mid '90s uh, stretch of great music, and great songs—and uh, and yes, it's a B-side collection, but it's there. You know, it's their hat full of hollow. It's—it's—it's it's, it's just as it's, you need that to understand what the Smiths were doing. You need the master plan to understand what Oasis was doing. So, my songs um, off of Definitely, maybe I, I just—I give you "Live Forever." I think it's one of the best songs of that decade, uh, and I, I put that on the list. Uh, Acquiesce from. The master plan and Stephen kind of uh, explained that very well. Don't look back at anger from from uh, Morning Glory again. I'm not a big Wonderwall guy. I'm not a big Champagne Supernova guy, but Don't look back at anger. I think holds up extremely well from Morning Glory, and it's 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 the best of those tracks. Give that one a spin. Uh, more recent vintage. Um, the importance of being idle from Don't believe the truth. Very Kingston influenced track um and, and and is a highlight of that album and uh, from dig out your soul the lead off track bag it up uh should have been released as a single i think it would have worked well just a great set of riffs through that tune a bluesy psychedelic kind of track bag it up from dig up your or dig out your soul the final oasis album uh those are my five jeff
1: well, I think it's very telling how sometimes all of us, you and me and our guest, align on an album, and it isn't the one you would expect. Last week in Pearl Jam, we all decided that "Yield" was really actually the one, one of the Pearl Jam's two most essential albums. And then this this week, it's uh, "The Master Plan." I agree with you, and I agree with Stephen that my God, you know, if you need to understand what Oasis is about, you've got to go to the Master Plan. It's a compilation. So I guess sometimes, you know, does that text. Technically, you know, violate the rules? Well, in hell no, because as <laughs> as you said, I chose Hatful of Hollow when it came to the Smiths is one of my essential albums for them. The master plan is great. Those B-sides are every bit as good as the material that went on to their albums at the time. Uh it's their version of Sci-Fi Lullabies, which is the Suede B-Sides compilation, which is I think almost equally as epic as this. You've gotta own it, people. It's fantastic. And then the other one, I'm gonna be the guy who says, What's the story morning glory? Because, yeah, maybe, you know, you are the same age as us and you already have this album in your collection because you bought it in high school. Uh, But if for some reason you haven't, my God, every single song on this record is great. It's it's their best album, their best studio album. They have so many other really, really worthy studio albums and interesting ones all the way up to the end of their careers. But, you know, Dig Out Your Soul, we just talked about how much we like. But listen, you got to own What's the Story, Morning Glory. It's a piece of history, if nothing else. My five songs, I will, again, start off by saying all you haters out there who don't want to say Wonderwall is one of the best Oasis songs ever, <laughs> bite me. Wonderwall is one of the best Oasis songs ever. There's a reason it was a massive hit. There's a reason everyone knows it. It's just an incredibly well-written song. Oh,
2: Okay, Brosif.
1: <laughs> okay, exactly. Well, you know, yeah, pardon me. Hold my, hold my red cup while I toss this ping pong ball, okay? i'm gonna i'm gonna get it into the cup over on the other side of the table no i love wonder wall wonder wall is a magnificent tune and the fact that it has become such a cliche of sort of 90s rock doesn't it's not something that should be held against it um you've got to mention at least one b-side uh i think when it comes to oasis and mine will be a little uncharacteristic it's underneath the sky um b-side i believe of don't look back in anger um kind of a really kind of a very uncharacteristic blazingly a, a psychedelic acoustic number um but of course it has electric guitars on it as well in the background magnificent piece of music um Gas Panic from Standing on the Shoulder of mm. Giants uh as another one of my three favorite songs I would mention this one in particular because it it's Oasis making a a very very kind of different move you know people expect them to be sort of meat and potatoes straight ahead Brit rockers and here they are doing this almost magical mystery tour style psychedelia and I think pulling it off very well yes this album is full of sort of slower songs and there are are definitely a lot of um sort of moody moments on on standing on the shoulder but i think it's it's a pretty great album very underrated album. i think gas panic represents it really well uh turn up the sun from don't believe the truth Uh, we talked a lot about this song and why it's so great uh kind of fantastic opening number also sort kind of represents what other people brought to the band, not just Noel Gallagher Noel Gallagher wasn't the only important songwriter in this band, his brother contributed a lot of great music and Andy Bell contributed some really great music to their last several albums, Turn Up the Sun is uh, the best of those I would say from from uh, dig out uh soul which is the turning uh the turning is one of those songs that i find almost inexplicably underrated i just think that people had given up on oasis and kind of gotten used to them at this point they're like oh yeah there's oasis they're just doing the things that oasis does and so they didn't give this song or this album really the attention and the credit that it deserved the turning is just an amazingly catchy nagging little riff And it starts and it never lets up and it consistently maintains your interest throughout the entire song, which I think you can actually say for for most of this album. I know Scott said that he thought it kind of falls off at the end. Uh, I think uh, Dig Out Your Soul is a really great start to finish. So those would be my five songs, folks.
0: And there we are, the Political Beats look at Oasis. Uh, thanks. You got through it in shorter time than,
2: than uh,
0: uh, be here now. Yes, <laughs> just barely though. Uh, Stephen Miller, our guest, you can find him uh, opinion columnist at foxnews.com, dot com, the Conservatives podcast with John Gabriel, and on Twitter at Red Steez. Stephen, thanks so much for joining us here on Political Beats.
2: Yeah, it was fun, guys, and, and hopefully people didn't, like, t- turn us off right after, uh, what's the story, Morning Glory? <laughs> yeah, Stephen theorized that this would be our most hated episode
0: of the show. Oh, I find that hard to believe. We've done a lot of hated episodes. Yeah, but,
2: pe- people people, people love to hate Oasis, and that was kind of, like, a, like one of the things that attracted me about, actually, uh, to come out and defend them like this, um, which, which is the best. Because people are either going to really hate this podcast or really like it, and that's the band. That's- you have the soul of a
0: troll, as always, Stephen. <laughs> yeah. Jeff Blair, my co-host. Find him on Twitter at EsotericCD. Jeff, do it again. What? We'll do one more before Christmas, I believe, yeah?
1: Yes, we shall.
0: All right. And uh, my name is Scott Bertram. You can find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. Again, subscribe. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, tune in. And uh, listen, enjoy, leave reviews. Nationalreview.com under podcasts. Find all the episodes. Plus, um, we're on Twitter at political underscore beats is where to find the show's Twitter account. This has been a presentation of National Review. And this has been Political Beats.